Hello and welcome to a new episode of the MinMax Show, a place about games, friends, and getting better. I am Ben Hansen, joined by Janet Garcia. Yo, what's good? Uh, basically everything. And then Kyle Hilliard. Hi. Hi, welcome. And then Kelsey Lewin, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I got the most excited introduction. It's exciting to see you. Like, I like to surprise myself. Like, I hide the screen and reveal it one at a time on my panel. So then it's like, oh my gosh, special guest Kelsey Lewin, co-director of the Video Game History Foundation. <laughs> book? I forgot. Oh my gosh, what a thrill. But thanks for being here, Kelsey. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we have a lot to go through in this episode. We're talking Deathloop. Uh, Janet's played a ton. Uh, some of us have played a bit. Then we'll be talking WarriorWare, Tales of Arise. Janet, do you want to talk about Life is Strange True Colors a little bit? Yeah, just a little bit. I, I am one chapter in. Okay, that seems fair. We can talk about it. Uh, then back half of the show, Jeff will be joining us. We have some wonderful community questions. But uh, Kelsey, since the last time you were on the show, we kind of changed things up a bit. So we're trying to take some of that love and fun from the community question segment and take like what's it called an eye drop and just like take a little bit of that and sprinkle it to the front of the show by moving one question up for the community kickoff so kelsey brace you say yourself. this like i don't listen to the podcast every week you're too sweet i know you've been doing that yeah it's, it's very sweet honestly i was thinking of you <laughs> the other week when we were talking about the virtual boy and kyle's experience with the virtual boy i'm like oh kelsey's gonna be listening to this and she's just going to be screaming <laughs> into her phone about everything we're getting wrong because you're a, a connoisseur of handheld history there was no, there wasn't anything um, like all that wrong. It was, it was just Good enough. Uh, no, it was Kyle's surprise at how difficult Virtual Boy things were to find that threw me off a little bit. I was like, oh, people don't know this. Like people don't know that you cannot find Jack Bros in the box. Like there are, I can name like five different people I know that are just looking for one to even exist on eBay because <laughs> that's the last one they need. That's absurd. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's, yeah, I bet uh, I, I I played it in Japanese a little bit, but it's a, it's a lot of text. It's like it's you know, yeah. it's a Shin Megami game, so it's like, oh, okay, I guess I'm just gonna walk around and hope I'm doing stuff right. <laughs> I mean, I've never played Jack Bros. To be perfectly clear, I've oh, played, you're missing out. Am I? Yeah, you got to build up the hype. I'm missing out on I played it in Japanese. Game? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to hype it up so the people that are hunting it down can really feel like they're triumphant when finding it. Like it has to be a huge deal. Like this will make you happy for the rest of your life if you're able to find that copy of Jack Bros for the Virtual Boy, everybody. Um, but yeah, okay, if you want a complete Virtual Boy collection because you guys were talking about that. A yeah, little bit. yeah, it's, yeah. It's not a lot of games, but good luck finding them. Yeah. <sighs> Do you think they'd be fun? <laughs> Would that be like a fun? I don't know, min-max series or something is just to try and get one full collection. Like, what's the easiest? I've got the full Wonderswan set. You want to explore that? That's amazing. Can but that was like that for this segment. <laughs> just have it in our possession for like yeah. the duration of it. Uh, you can come over. I'm not shipping it. Okay. Uh, I mean, <laughs> what do you think is the easiest set to collect? If you want all of one console, Kelsey, what's like the cheapest, best way to go? That's such a good question. Um, it might still be Virtual Boy because really? it's so few games really? um, or like Vectrex or something. I mean, you have to go with something Vectrex. that doesn't have a lot of games. Right. right. So, I mean, it has to be because like, like, there's a bunch of games. I mean, NES is not a difficult, especially if you do um, unlicensed or not unlicensed ones. Like if you just right. go anything published by Nintendo, not a difficult set to complete, um, but it will be expensive because there's like 700 of them. Okay. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's a mess. It's, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like <laughs> Everything's idea. hard. There's no such thing as an easy set to complete. I don't think. I just what about like North engage. American um, N64? Like, is that the just the hack, just to have it region specific? 
Because isn't uh, that like one hundred and something games? That's, no, it's 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 is it like a few hundred. <laughs> I think it's like three. Oh my god! I might be well, okay. I might so be cool. wrong about that number. Um, and most of them are probably not going to be too bad. I guess if you if you can say like no blockbuster exclusives or something that'll get you a lot further a lot faster oh, yeah that, that that clay fighter 63 and a third will really mess exactly that sculptor's cut oh is that oh, what that's from because my um someone in my household like really wants that game and i'm like i don't know what this is <laughs> like trying to Just find get the regular version there's a there's a regular clay fighters 63 and a third um or whatever whatever it's called just don't get the sculptor's cut one yeah. Did I you, you uh, ever end up finishing your uh, mini collection, Kelsey, of all the M-rated DS games? I did. Ooh, yeah. that is good. That is a very specific niche. That's perfect. Those are the kinds of collections that we are so off topic right now. I'm no, so that's sorry. Fine. Um, but <laughs> those are the kinds of collections that I encourage people. Like, if you want to get into video game collecting, find like a small goal like that, because then you're going to feel so much more satisfied, so much quicker. Like, if you say, I'm going to get every NES game, yeah, that's going to take forever. But if you're like, I'm going to get yeah, every M-rated uh, DS game or every, even every RPG or something like that. I mean, it'll be hard, but it won't be as hard as getting everything. Yeah, I was thinking just the other day about, like, how weird it is on the DS that there are those Microsoft published games. Like, that'd be a fun collection to have. Just, like, the Microsoft published games for the DS. Because, what, you got Diddy Kong Racing DS... Am I nuts? That came out there, right? And then it's it like... It did. Is that, that's yeah. Microsoft published? I believe so, yeah, because they owned Rare at that point. And then it's like the oh, Age wow. of Mythology tactical game. Right, The Age yeah. of Empires tactical game. It might just be those three. So I, I think I could gun for that. I could actually do it. Okay, so community kickoff. We got Mitch here has a great question saying hello cohorts. It's awesome to have you on, Kelsey. I'm a big fan of the Video Game History Hour podcast. Look at that. Thank you. Uh, since we have a history uh, preservationist on, I would like some advice. I have a large collection of old games from my childhood, mainly the GameCube, DS, PSP era that are going for surprisingly high prices on eBay. I'm not sure I'll ever go back to play these. Do you think it's okay to sell your old game collections or would I regret this forever? So we just kind of have to like go inside Mitch's head and figure out if he would feel the feeling of regret at any point <laughs> in his life. I, I mean, I can't tell you if you're not going to regret it but the good news about games is that you can purchase them again and if you like if you sell all of them you're going to get such an absurdly high amount of money that if 10 years from now you're like you know what i really wish i hadn't sold pokemon pearl right you can go back and pick up pokemon pearl honestly kelsey that is i'm i'm very practiced at this i just i recently bought golden sun like mirror maybe like a year or two after having sold it for a good price on ebay and i was like you know what i want that back <laughs> i think it's the way to go like but they also you know games get remade so much lately the really good ones will probably get remade anyway so you know there's always that <laughs> i don't agree with that i don't remake the the weird games that were all i mean we still haven't gotten so many games from nintendo that people have been asking for forever yeah, yeah, you can never know what's going to happen. We got Skyward Sword HD, yeah! <laughs> You're locked Thank in. Thank God, God You're forbid. Good to go. No, but I was thinking about this, like, last time I moved, because I have, like, a big bookshelf, and it's like, I like having a bookshelf in my house. It makes you look all smart and stuff, and it's, you know, something for, like, visitors to come over and look at and think, oh, how smart. Basically, I'm just desperate <laughs> to try and look smart. But then I realized, like, the odds of me going back and reading any of these old books from college, like, textbooks and stuff like that, if I was really dying to reread some 
Richard Feynman or something. It's like, I could just go out and spend the money to buy that one book. And it would be so much more worth the cost and hassle of hauling hundreds and hundreds of pounds of books to some new location. And so I think the same could be applied for games. But it's crazy that you brought up Pokemon Pearl, Kelsey, because this is like case in point, something that happened very recently for me, where when the remake was announced for Pokemon Pearl, I wanted to go back to my original game to figure out like who was my final team for that game. And then I remember mm. like, oh, there was like a crazy deal at Target years and years ago where if you traded in DS games, somehow they give you a gazillion dollars. And so I like got Target. rid of I, it was something weird you with Target. You sold your video games to Target? I don't know how or why, but I remember Dan Riker was screaming about this crazy Target deal. Somehow, for some reason, I got rid of all of my great DS games in that batch, and it just killed me to look at my shelf and not see Pokemon Pearl there. The one time I really wanted it, <laughs> it's all out the window. So Mitch could be walking towards that road, really. I think the best way to approach it is to first go through and be like, okay, these are the things I'm really never going to play again. Right. Like find the things that, and then maybe it's an entire system. Like I, um, this was several years ago, but I decided that, you know what? There are enough like Genesis game compilations that I think I can just get rid of my Genesis collection. I think I just don't need Sega Genesis games. Yeah. If, if there are definitely really good ones that I might want to go back and replay, but there's like a hundred of those stupid Sega Genesis collections that have, they've got all got like golden Axe and Sonic and like, you know, all the good stuff on it. Right. Um, so I got rid of all of those, and I literally have not regretted it a single day. So start there. Yes. Is my, is my suggestion. Very smart. There we go, Mitch. There's your guidance. Um, okay, diving into Deathloop. Uh, here was my personal experience with Deathloop, where I was looking forward to it fine. Uh, went on a bike ride on, was it Monday morning, I guess, and was listening to the Fire Escape podcast, Dear Friends of the Show. And Mike Maharty seemed like a little like "Ah, it's all right it's okay like on that podcast and then i got back and looked at review scores and um it was like that smash trailer where donkey kong's eyes bust through uh the glass window (laughs) absurd review scores i was blown away and then my expectations are all out of whack um kyle it seems like you'd be into this trivia uh both GameSpot and ign gave death loop a 10 out of 10 how many times that. has that happened in history? And can you name another game that they both gave a perfect 10 to? Oh, that they both gave a perfect yeah. 10 uh, here's, here's a hint. It, I know. There, I know. Are, there are six that overlap. See there's how many six. we can get here as a group, maybe. The Breath okay. of the Wild? Uh, Breath of the Wild, yes. That's, that's one of them. Yeah. Is, um, oh, this is, this, uh, what is it called? The, the platformer that I know IGN gave it a 10. It's a really challenging platformer Celeste? from Celeste. It is not, Celeste, one of them. Not Celeste. Nope. nope. Um, let's see. Game. It's weird because GameSpot actually has like very few tens in their history. I think they have like ten to twenty tens in the entire history of the site. Versus, I think IGN has like way more. But also, it's been around longer. So. Right. Um, yeah. Bro, Persona Five Royal. Wow. Perfect pull, Jen. That's really? amazing. I'd be, yes. I'd be lurking. I'd be, I'm like, I, yep, yeah. That is the most surprising. I missed that. Yeah. Completely. It's wild. Because I rem- I think, was it Michael that reviewed Royal for GameSpot? And I remember him tweeting like, I gave a 10 to, there's only been this many 10s in the history of time, and this is one of them. <laughs> My review, you know? Oh, no shade. I would do the same thing. You right. Know? I feel like um, you... And know. then I'm like, that game's so acclaimed that I'm like, I'm sure I... Because I think IGN might have even given a 10 to the just Persona 5 base. So, you right, know, right. Royal, of course, is going to be a 10 because it's a better version of the already it the is, game. It is something that, Janet, like that, 
like I gave Breath of the Wild a 10 for Game Informer, and that is one of the things when I think about Game Informer, I'm like, I got to give that game a 10 there. Like, it's like a point of, it's a weird point of pride, you know, it's right. odd. You put your stamp there. I think everybody else that reviewed a yeah. Zelda game at Game Informer also gave it a 10, so I don't know how special you are really for that outlet, but I understand it in theory, <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see, okay, this is a game from 2017 that's not Breath of the Wild that they both gave a 10 to. God of War? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Nope. Or is God of War oh, wait, 2018? It is 2018. Yeah, God of War 2018. This is maybe the uh, most... Mario agree- Odyssey? Mario Odyssey, way to go. Mm. Let's see, now we're going back in time. Uh, which uh, maybe that was a little hint if we're going way back in time, Kyle. Majora's Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time. There we go. Janet, you're actually booted from the podcast for guessing Majora's Mask. <laughs> well, I was thinking it has to do with time. You yeah. know. You, no, you're right. You're I right. saw the logic there. It was there. Yeah, it was exactly. There. Okay. The moon if, was coming down. You're, this stuff was changing. All right. Yep. Okay. This is a game that Joe Juba mentioned on last week's episode of the podcast that he gave a perfect 10 to a game Heavy rain. No, I'm just nope. <laughs> God, I mean, those reviews were really, really high. That is certainly up there. Uh, let's uh, see. Bioshock I remember everyone loved Heavy Rain. It is a very modern thing that people are going back and laughing at it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I what will it was. readily admit that I enjoy, I played heavy. I played the hell out of Heavy Rain. And I was like, this feels like something new and interesting. And I really can we do a new it. show plus Heavy Rain? Honestly, I do want to stream oh, yeah. all of Heavy Rain because <laughs> I've, I've never, never played it. I, I would like to play it. Ooh, Janet, that is tempting. Oh, because I've yeah, I've played like the first couple hours maybe. Anyways, the rest of the games are GTA Four and Metal Gear Solid Four, but that's not important. That's oh, some okay. review. That's just Bioshock Infinite. It wasn't. That wasn't that. Huh? Not that. Okay, let's actually get to Deathloop here. Um. Kelsey, have you played any of Deathloop, or are you just curious about it? Just curious about it. Okay, perfect. And uh, I had a very similar thing as you, where uh, the first thing I heard about Deathloop was kind of lukewarm, and then I saw the reviews. Yeah, it, and then it is shocking, and now I feel like there's this crazy pressure built up in some ways for Deathloop here, but uh, I've played two and a half hours. Where are you at, Kyle? Like an hour, hour and a half. Okay, great. Like and then Pretty Janet, uh, you're welcome to flex as hard as you want. Uh, what's your experience with Deathloop? Yeah, I rolled credits, 22 hours for what is an 11 hour game. Wow. You know, get on the pro gamer hours out here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm impressed. You're soaking it in. You're, you're taking in the sights. Um, all right. High level, Janet. What'd you think? How was it? I thought it was like, incredible. Um, it. I think it's my game of the year, above even above Chicory, which I adore that game. Yeah. Uh, I kind of go back and forth between the two. But I do think I had way more fun with Deathloop. It's like one of those weird things where it's like, what's more special or more impactful for the year? But uh, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it it is repetitive. Like people, that's the first question people ask. Like, oh, is it, does it end up getting repetitive? You're in the same areas, same days and stuff. And it does, but to a benefit because you really get to know an area and there's something that's really nice about that i think it's really well designed i think there's a lot of smart choices in terms of like how the abilities can complement each other and how the sort of um there's like a for those who don't know there's like a buff system to it where you can put like little trinkets on your weapons or on your character so you can have these sort of different attributes it just feels really thoughtful um and i'm i'm constantly impressed by how they're able to make it a game that you can comfortably go through and have fun with while also being kind of complex in the sense that we don't know what order you're going to do the missions in. We don't really know right. what order you're going to get your abilities in. We don't, you know, and there, there is like a, a funnily, like a light, like in a way Metroidvania element to it in the sense that like you there at one point in a mission, you finally open up a door that was like always locked and you go to a new area, but it's just like a different place. It's not like anything crazier than that. But yeah, I mean the, the TLDR is I loved it uh, and it's super stylish, super fun. 
um, yeah, I, I don't have enough good Super things to say profane, about it. Profane, right? Like, like yes, but it feels going for that world it, record. It feels genuine. Um, it is a little bit much, and I do think if you're someone who isn't used to profanity, it might be a little shocking. Or you even like, especially because it comes out of the dual sense if you leave the settings at default. So you just start a day, and you know we're a, a no swear podcast. But Julia's just like, <laughs> "What's up?" You, da, 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 you know, she just tears into you. Even like the opening um, thing wild. you see is just like a brutal murder sequence and stuff so yeah look alive and just a recap you know forget what death loop is out there which is i don't know what do you think kyle 10 percent of people listening don't remember what death loop is what do you think that number is realistically i i think it's higher because uh they wouldn't shut up about it for the last year <laughs> okay so maybe, maybe it'd be lower overall but yeah death loop it's from arcane leone it's the first person uh game from the I guess the last game this team released was Dishonored 2, um, but it is all about being stuck in a time loop on an island. And this is the weird thing about this game. After two and a half hours, I, I'm I'm impressed by it. And a lot of that comes from like still trying to wrap my mind around what I'm experiencing, which I think is a sign of something new, something fresh, which is a good sign for the industry overall. But even after two and a half hours, I'm still just chewing on this meal being like, what is this exactly like initially it feels very much like okay this is a time loop game that's right i'm gonna be waking up on this beach and then for the first two and a half hours or so it doesn't really hit the loop thing in a big way because maybe i just uh i didn't die and they give you like a certain perk in the beginning so that uh even if you die you kind of get one free continue and stuff like that but as I'm playing the opening section, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around like, what is the structure of this game? Because in the opening areas, at least, it feels very much like level to level, cool, immersive sim experience, but not exactly like the more looping roguelike thing that it might have been imagined. But yeah, Kyle, like, where are you at just for trying to wrap your mind around this thing so far? Yeah, I'm with you and I don't have a handle on the loop yet. Particular yeah. loop, if you will. I, I'm really like interested in the story out of the gate. Like... I, I, I guess I had high expect... I don't know. I didn't have any expectations for the story, really, because I was like, okay, loop. You got to kill assassins. But pretty quickly, the like the relationship between the two assassins and like what you're trying to do is like really interesting. And like there's this voice in your head that's sort of talking to you all the time. Like that part, I'm like, okay, I want to see what's next. But I do worry a little bit. Um, like I, I really want to play more. And Janet, like I, you talking about it makes me excited to see what's next. But like I, as someone who... Played Dishonored, played and beat Dishonored one once, and Dishonored two didn't really click for me, and Prey didn't really click for me. I worry that I'm just not creative enough for arcane <laughs> games because they're like they're so like look at all these paths, look at all these choices Play you can make, and I'm and just I'm kind of like, can you tell me like which one's the best one, and I'll just like <laughs> oh take my that God. one. Like I worry that I'm just like just gonna be too eager to just sneak up behind people and stab them in the back without no you'll be okay because that's I mean, just, what i did okay like good. i but it encourages you, know, you to try different things and yeah yeah i'm like mm, we don't need to do that like i used there are <laughs> i think there's like maybe four or more like they're, they're called like slabs uh they basically you're like abilities things like being invisible or like teleporting or you know other yeah, i got, I know, got a uh, double jump which i was very excited about early on yes, like yeah it, give me that double jump right away hell yeah and that is different than the slab that's a character trinket so it's kind of like a oh, so an yeah, attribute okay. you can attach um versus like your powers um but you know you get all these different ones and i really only used invisibility for like 
80% of the game. And then eventually I used one called Nexus where you can kind of link enemies together so that, you know, if I link, you know, Ben and Kelsey up and I kill Ben, Kelsey also dies. Um, oh, that's like a dishonor thing. Okay. Don't do that. Yeah. Let her um, play her yeah. way, Kelsey, please. It's important. Yeah, this is, this is the only way people can understand. But yeah, so I w- wasn't really heavy on experimentation. I was very linear. Like, it was interesting talking to um, other people who had, like, beaten the game or had played more than me because a lot of folks are like, so the way the game is structured, um, to Ben's point, I think it, the marketing was a little bit weird because I did think it would be like a roguelike or yeah. something where I'm like, oh, I'm constantly dying. Or like, I thought I would have that constant stress that I did have in like Majora's Mask where I'm like, okay, well, we only have this much time and then I got to, you know, reset this or the moon. Like, there's not a pressure of time in this game at all because you know exactly when time is changing because time only moves forward when you go into the tunnel and you say like i'm done with this area and then you go to another area so so there's not a timer at all no there's no timer at all it's just like it's just the 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 way time yeah it's like totally uh, totally took me by surprise the way time functions in this game and like how it plays a role in like the whole well how is it a loop well in different points of the day different things are sort of available because your goal in the game um which this wasn't the marketing so i don't think it's like a secret you're trying to kill like all these visionaries um who are like kind of the bosses they're like normal enemies though they're not like super crazy powerful and your goal is to well okay i gotta get it all to go down in one day because after the end of each day cycle the day like resets and i have to kind of do things all over again so the goal of the game in the game is to line it up where you can get them into certain places so that you can have like the ultimate day where you kill them all in one day. Um, And that's like very much explained to you how to do it. You don't have to, you know, they describe this game as like a murder puzzler. And I'm like, bro, there's like four puzzles in this game. Like it, the puzzle is just doing the missions. And then you like, there is, there is stuff to figure out, but you as the player don't have to figure it out. You just have to do what arcane tells you to do and there's like convenient map markers for everything and like that's a detriment to the game i think it's phenomenal still but it's a lot more handholdy in that sense so if you're worried that like i'm not creative or i don't want to do a roguelike or i don't want to do you you don't really have to do all that like i just followed the little mission chains on the menu and i took them piece by piece while like people i knew were like i'm gonna get the most out of my day so i'm gonna spend today in this area then i'm gonna in the afternoon this thing's open and then i'm gonna get this weapon i'm like whoa whoa whoa. Mm mm-mm we got one chain of missions it <laughs> and does, then another that, one. That's so. honestly encouraging. Like that, that's, I, I'm glad it's like that. I want to beat my hand held a little bit here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and it sounds like you can, you can let go of that hand if you want, but I'm glad it's, it's there. It, it makes me excited to play more for sure. Okay. So once like you unlock Juliana, who's this other character in the game that uh, you probably saw in the marketing can be inhabited by somebody else online to try and kill you. And you can also play her invading other people's games if you want. Um, but once you unlock her, like I could conceivably in my next run, cause I'm at the start of a new day. Now I could conceivably take out all eight of these goobers right now. I'm still trying to figure out like, are you on this mission to mission path until eventually it's like, okay, now you've seen everything be as efficient as you can do the research, go for it. No. No. So the way it it's set up and like as you like get into the game and you see your menu with your like they call them leads or your like main missions. Yeah. Um, the goal of each like quest line is related to one visionary. So like um oh, okay. I'm trying to think of what I think well, I'm trying to think of what their names are. Um like the doc also the doctor, because I don't remember what her name is. Doctor says with a W. Sure. Um like she has a quest line. And the goal of the end of her quest line is to figure out 
how to get her where she needs to be so that you can have that ultimate day at the end of the game. So you don't have to like do any of that figuring out yourself. You just complete her quest line and at the end of it completed, it has a nice little check. Like, you know that it's done. And the goal is to get all of those quest lines checked. And then you'll have it set up where, um, again, I don't want to give specifics, but it'll be something like, okay, well, now I know I can get Dave and Ben at the gym in the morning. Great. I'm going to kill both of them in the morning. Now, how do I get Kyle, you know, where Kelsey is for the afternoon? Because you have like X number of people to kill. So you need to be able to line them up in a way where you can take them all out morning, afternoon. There's like four segments of the day so that you can go to each one without having to reset the day. Because for the entirety of the game, you're like, resetting the day to like do other quest lines and you're like okay well i have to go back and check in with dave and he's only around at night and it's already you know or he's only around the morning it's already night i gotta manually reset the day so i can go in the morning and that's essentially the structure of the game i think it's really interesting and i think it kind of shows even in the opening section of the game of just how much iteration had to go into the design of this game i'm sure it was just a mess to stitch together but they created something unique so hats off to him but it's just like so colt the main character he has he's seeing words around the environment like uh, diegetic words that are going to pop it up kyle's favorite thing of like hey just little reminders around the environment stuff like that it's like okay that's trying to guide you through the level and then on top of that even as you're trying to read those words in the environment they have like other pop-up tips like i'm still hopefully the hardcore arcane fans don't think this is dumbed down arcane or anything like that but it definitely feels like they're doing everything they can to keep you moving and to not make you scared of an immersive sim game like some of arcane's previous work so it seems to be working for keeping me moving along even if i'm confused about how am i holding these things in my hand what am i going to lose when i die all that fun stuff but it's a lot of a lot of small tiddly bits that are going to come together but what do you think it is jen like what is the big picture thing that's like wowing the world with this game i think it's just the way that it really does give you a freedom in the style of how you approach combat and problem solving um i know i did say before that it is very handholdy and i i do stand by that but just because you know exactly what you need to do and where you need to go the rest is still up to you like whether or not you know i think a lot of games and i said this on i was on the uh, games cast review uh on kind of funny for this game and i'd mentioned this there and i'll mention this again here because i think it's really the biggest comment i can give to the game a lot of games are like you can go in choir or you can go in loud like right. that's most games like that's every game far cry every game <laughs> but for this one it really does feel true on a much deeper level and i think the dynamics within the tool set it gives you just makes for so much fun where someone like me who um, I can't aim. I'm constantly scared. <laughs> you know, I, I can do a lot of fun things like go really stealth. You know, I can turn invisible and then I can shoot because no one you can't kill me because you can't see me. I can do things like, all right, I'm going to set up elaborate um, amounts of turrets and then I'm just going to, you know, get an enemy to come to the turret and I'm just going to hide in like a, in a room or I'm going to stand in the corner of a locker room and I'm just going to wait. I'm going to shotgun shell shotgun. You know, I can kind of set up these like elaborate set pieces for myself versus someone who is maybe um, I don't really want to say more skilled because I think that that in itself is a skill. But someone who's more aggressive might say, OK, I'm actually going to kind of try to speed run this thing. I'm going to get the shift ability and I'm going to scale up the side of a mountain. I'm going to use that double jump that Kyle mentioned and I'm going to get into the window. I'm going to be in and out. You won't even see me because I'm not even going to spend the time like meticulously going through the sort of more direct route. I'm going to try to zag and just be in and out so quickly that no one knows I'm there or I'm going to, you know, just go really heavy with like killing everybody. Like there's just so many ways to do it. Um, And I think that's where the fun is. And once you start to get to know the areas more, you can kind of just 
have a strategy going into like an area right away, which is really fun where you're like, okay, I know there's like four trip mines on this side. And then I know if I go up this side, there's going to be three visionaries, not three visionaries, but three enemies. They're going to have this conversation. One of them's going to leave at this point of the conversation. When she says that, that's when I'm going to sink the headshot. No one will know she's dead because she's already done talking. Like you can kind of, and I think there's like a really like powerful sort of beauty and knowing a game that intimately through design, because I've I've grown that attachment to games a lot from having done guides and having stared, you know, at the level design of Last of Us 2 and, and, and described it for someone on paper. And like that attachment has been really cool, but it comes in a really dry way of like, you know, doing guide writing. This is the right. first time in a not that setting that I feel like I know a game so intimately by design and i think that's so cool so yeah for me that's the big draw yeah i mean it definitely will appeal to fans of hitman uh playing this section so far it's like oh hitman fans are going to be in heaven this year they get hitman 3 and this thing and so i know leo has been playing it uh hopefully next week he can jump on when he's played a little bit more because i'm very curious to see what the hitman lover's perspective is on this thing overall but i mean we haven't even mentioned the vibe the art i mean the style on this island is is something else it's got a whole 60s alternate history kind of vibe that is just so unique and makes me think of just the weird situation here where if you weren't aware this is a playstation 5 exclusive also on pc but console exclusive playstation 5 but it is an arcane game which means it is a microsoft (laughs) property at this point so it's like microsoft and sony are both releasing this game in this weird twisted kind of way but i think it's so unique and so amazing to have this bold new take on an IP. And now it's one that was funded by Sony, partly funded by Sony. And now Microsoft kind of gets to reap the benefits of it because as Deathloop moves forward, I would imagine it's going to be a Microsoft exclusive if they do continue with this franchise. And it like reminds me of the same thing as like Outer Worlds where Private Division took the big risk with Outer Worlds and funded that game. And then Microsoft swooped in like, oh, we got it from here. Thank you so much, Private Division. But I mean, it's just wild for Arcane Leon to take this big of a swing. Uh, And this is very specific and stupid and only the kind of crap that probably I care about. But I thought it was interesting that at the start of this game. Oh, bye, Kyle. Um, Welcome back, Kyle. Uh, That at the start of this game, they call it uh, an Arcane Leon game. And I believe I, I went back and checked every single Arcane game before this. They just say Arcane Studios. It's kind of a fun idea of them trying to like differentiate between Arcane Leon and Arcane Austin. I understand I probably care so much more about that than anybody else because I've been to both <laughs> studios and so I'm passionate about that distinction and stuff. But from Microsoft's point of view, it's like, oh, this is great because now we just get this high class, you know, quality studio name that we get to use twice as much because there's two of them. So, so why not blast it out there? Uh, Kyle? I have a question for you guys oh, about yes. Deathloop, if that's okay. Please. Because um, I keep hearing, the only thing I keep hearing about, really, is, well, I mean, you mentioned the style and all that. Obviously, people are talking about that. Yeah. But the, like, core gameplay loop and how much the game helps you and kind of keeps everything in order. But no one is saying, like, is the actual gameplay fun? Like, does it feel good to shoot and run and jump and stuff? Like, no one, I haven't heard anyone say anything about that. <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah, it feels great. All right. I mean, that's, to <laughs> me, that's like a the huge end. part. Uh, yeah, that's a huge part of a game being worth playing to me. It's like I can deal with a lot of frustration as long as it feels good. Like the movement feels good and intuitive. And it's like that I mean, have, you, yeah. have you played Dishonored or, or Prey? Because I do I find Dishonored. Okay, I find those games to feel heavy. It's like a weird way to describe it. But like you feel like it's your gun moves a little slower than, you know, like Call of Duty or something. 
So there is like a learning period, I feel like. For me, there was at least. Um, but yeah, it, it jumping around feels good. And yeah, it, I, I wouldn't worry about that element of it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems to like embrace the action much more than Arcane's previous history where you're running around, sliding on the ground, double jumping. I mean, you can really, if you have an action mentality going into this game, I bet you can do some wild stuff, which yeah, I know has been true for so much cool in the past. If but. like, is there a chaos system? Like there's not, like there's not any of that stuff. Like you're just out here brutally murdering people. And I think it has like the melee has a great feel to it where it sort of has, again, it, it leans into like that, like super visceral kind of it's it's weird because it's gory but not really because it's all like kind of almost cartoonified in a weird way so like the blood comes out but it's not like i don't know it's not it's not like the last of us 2 where you're seeing the animations of faces of people that you're you know murdering um but this is like you know you'll have a machete and like a head will slice off and then you'll hear like the i think the sound design goes a really long way and and creating that feel for me where there's a lot of good like crunch and like yells and it it leans into that in a in a really fun way to me so yeah um, yeah i have a really fun time playing it and there's cute little things in the environment too like um or the fact that you can like kick people i've been kicking people all the time man it's so good and there's actually a buff you can put on your character where um it has it's like a two-part buff but one of them the description is that you kick like a donkey so um you have like a really powerful kick is is what it means you know and um you'll just send people like flying off or like i kicked a guy into a candy machine and all this candy fell out then i stepped on his skull like it just if if that kind of stuff sounds appealing to you and it's not quite as gross as i'm describing it then yeah it's gonna be it's it's fun in that like i think the combat is playful you know and i know you're playing pre-release but like did the juliana stuff impact you did you have anybody invade your game or anything like that i actually don't remember if any person invaded my game because i did have it set to multiplayer for a while i feel like maybe because i did feel like i changed the single player for like the back end of the game and i did feel like a little drop so i'm like maybe that was a person um but yeah for juliana my best recommendation whether it's a person or a computer when juliana is on the hunt just stand there don't go about your day. Like, wait for her to come to you and then just kill her. Because she's going to find you anyway and then just ruin your... Because st- if you die <laughs> completely, because you get those, like, two kind of lives. Um, right. Because you have that one, like, ability that gives you two lives. So it's kind of a little bit generous with the whole, like, oh, you die and you got to start over again. Um, but it, it does suck if you end up dying and you lose your progress for, like, whatever you were doing. So, yeah, just wait for her and then... You'll, you'll probably be able... Well, if it's a person, maybe it'd be harder to kill her. But, you right, know, right. Um, yeah, that's my advice. Just wait for her to come to you. Don't go about doing your day. Don't risk she, it. Because or else she'll find you and maybe kill you for when you're not even, like, noticing. Like, just wait. Like, she got to show up. She, you you know, she has to show up eventually. So just stand there and then kill her. <laughs> Amazing. Deathloop game of the year for Janet. Uh, we'll see where everybody else is at. Once we play even more of it, we'll be talking about it more in the future. But I'm curious, you know, if you've been playing it, what do you think about it? Uh, we had a Twitter poll just to try and figure out, is it too hyped up for people now with these review scores? But people seem to be enjoying it by and large. Uh, so yeah, I'd love your feedback on what you think about Deathloop so far because there's a lot more to unpack here. Uh, hey, Kyle Hilliard. Yes, Ben. Uh, there is a wonderful game that came out on Friday. Uh, every couple of years, we're graced by truly one of gaming's greatest franchises. Uh, WarioWare Get It Together came out on Friday on the Nintendo Switch. Have you been playing it, man? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I finished it in the sense that, like, you can see the story to the end. But right. It really encourages you to go back and replay stuff a lot. But yeah, my uh, my daughter and I predominantly, like, played the whole thing together, so see you're getting it together that's so sweet and that's the big thing here is 
It has a co-op emphasis, and we've talked about it in the podcast before about being skeptical, at least I was, about that idea of having the characters directly controlled on the screen. So you're not like controlling the micro game, you're controlling a character on the screen, which will move in a different way, which then interacts with the micro game. But the benefit is then it's an easy way to play co-op. But has everybody been playing this thing, actually? I played a little bit. Okay. Janet? Yeah, I played it, I beat it, I played with my boyfriend. I am... Just in love with that idea because you had never played a WarioWare game before, right? Yes, it was uh, it was a wild experience um, for sure. Yeah, what'd you think? I liked it a lot, actually. I was pleasantly surprised. I'll be honest, and I tweeted this out. I went into here expecting to take another Nintendo L, and y'all know I love Nintendo. This is no shade, but like the games have not been hitting this year, man. I, I hit up that tennis. Mm, I hit up that snap. It didn't do it for me. <laughs> like, and I just have this collection of like GameStop failures that I've purchased because I can't ever, I can never get code for Nintendo games. So I'm like, I keep buying and then I just trade them in and we just do this cycle <laughs> together at GameStop. So I went and I picked it up. Um, ended up actually buying a Target because GameStop was sold out. I didn't have a, like, do you have a pre-order? I'm like, no. And they're like, well, we don't got anything. And I was so I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't get it together in I'm time sorry. for the game. But I, I picked it up. Um, and when I first started, my first feeling of it was like, wow, this goes really fast. And I do not know what is happening. Yep, um, that's, and that was yeah, that's the exact chaos that it's supposed to throw you into. <laughs> that's how you're yeah, doing it right. And, yeah. And, and then I sort of was like, well, you, you just sense it, you know, and I do think something changes in your brain when you sit down and play this game where your brain like catches up and now yeah. you can kind of see everything and of course it helps when you like get to know the mini games too because then you're like okay you know i'm like the armpit one we're really good at this one let's go right um but yeah i, I beat it and i had a, i had a great time playing it uh i do recommend this to to people i th- thought it was quite fun yeah i think the reviews have been a little bit lower than i was expecting i really like it and especially I think people are thrown off by the idea of having these characters on the screen and how it changes up the WarioWare formula and all that stuff. But it's like, they just, they released WarioWare Gold on 3DS back in 2018. I understand a 3DS game in 2018 was poison to a lot of folks out there, but like that game was just repackaging all of the old stuff and no one bought it and nobody cared about it. So like you cannot get mad at Nintendo now for trying to shake things up and make things... I wouldn't even say more approachable, just a little bit different. It's basically turning WarioWare into like a hero shooter of having these different like characters pop in and interact with these games in a different way. But Kelsey, as the, the maestro of handhelds, yeah, what do you think about the new era of WarioWare here? So, I mean, first of all, I think it's just better on a touchscreen. I think it just works better on a touchscreen. But, um, but I'm with you in that like it's totally fair for them to change it up. And I... I like the hero shooter comparison, but what I immediately thought of is like, well, why why didn't they make them balanced? Like, they're all different, but some of them just objectively suck. Penny like some of them is an abomination minions. upon man. Like, Penny needs to be uh, drowned <laughs> in the ocean. Like, I hate Which that. one's Penny? The one well, with, like, the, Penny work? the fire hose, where she, like, goes the opposite oh. direction. Oh, I no, hate it. Yeah, I no, it's fine. It's 8-bit. 8-bit sucks on the skateboard. 9-bit, like, yeah, he's, nah, he's fast, but, yeah. 9-bit, excuse me. That, he is definitely one of no, the I like the ones. fire hose. I like Penny. Penny's fine. Penny See, Defender. that's why it's fun. I, I like the unbalanced nature of it. Screw it. It's WarioWare. It's not a competitive yeah, game. It's just supposed to be ridiculous. You know, if any game can do this, can have like dumb bad characters in it for fun, <laughs> it's WarioWare. Like I'm not, I'm not mad about it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. There's, like, I, I, it got a little frustrating and not, but because it happened so fast, it's not like a super 
Like, I'm not mad at being frustrated. I'm like, okay, whatever. Five seconds later, I'm doing it over again. It doesn't matter. Right. I kind of, I, it's a fun level of randomization on top of just rapid fire micro games when you're like, okay, this character is going to be great at this micro game. This character is, it's technically doable, but it's going to be doable, but it's more of a struggle. And I think it becomes a lot more fun when you're playing co-op and then you have those moments of like, okay, this game's all you because you're so much better at this. Or like, this character, this is me because I can manage this thing more. And so a lot of it comes down to just, yeah, understanding the micro games, understand, understanding your characters, like getting your set of which characters you like to, to lock in here. Like Mike obviously is a ringer, the guy you can fly around and just shoot straight up. Anybody who's like fully predictable is all I'm really looking for. <laughs> yeah. And where you were good at together because it's just mess. But yeah, let's see. Who are the other good ones? What characters do y'all Ashley. like? Ashley. She's like a witch. Ooh, you like the shooting around. the, blue, yeah, the broom good. thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually. Uh, Me just straight the, up Wario is fine. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I he's did good. not like Wario. I never used that. Like he, he, he dropped off the roster real quick. We just left Wario. I'm like, it's your <laughs> game, but not, 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 not in our playthrough. <laughs> I also, what's, what's the, uh, the ninja's name? He's, he's just a, just a platformer guy. He just jumps really high. Like oh, I like yeah. him too because it's just so familiar. Yeah, Cricket, yes. Cricket yeah. was in the rotation. Uh, I like that they give you. Um, I don't know if y'all saw this, but like they give you like a stat breakdown of like your win percentage like per character oh, and like really? I, I saw that early on and cricket was like doing real well i was like okay you in the rotation based on mathematics alone yeah i'm actually <laughs> as much as i don't like playing as nine volt uh five volt his mother i do like a lot who just like you have that little thing you control where she teleports like to she oh no i didn't like her either she she's it's amazing because she could like, not those grapes man Mm-mm, she cannot juice <laughs> those grapes oh, she's not a grape juicer forever. we know she's not a grape juicer but you feel like you're breaking the game like as much as you're <laughs> dragged down every once in a while by getting screwed over by your character in a micro game like that ability to feel like you're breaking the game where it's like okay get out of this maze and get to the helicopter on the top it's like okay i'm five volt i will aim at the helicopter and now i'm in it and flying away i think it's worth it for that level of a twist but obviously yeah it's like the story mode and going through that stuff that's a couple hours then an unforgivable sin is you don't unlock the four-player multiplayer and the multiplayer modes until after you beat the story mode which is that's unforgivable. Weird, the Wii game was like that too. Yes. I remember yeah, there, I brought there, there the There was Wii a Wii game. game that was like that. And it was, yeah. I feel like it was uh, longer than two hours too. Totally. That yeah. was annoying. I, the Wii game was like a staple for me. Like I, we played that as much as we played Wii Sports. You know what I mean? And yes. like, yeah, I remember bringing it home day one and three friends. I was like, all right, let's play. This is going to be great. And then I was like, well, I'll, I'll, all right, I'll get back to you tomorrow. I got to beat the single player <laughs> campaign. And it was so funny. <laughs> like the fun thing, the one of the extra fun things for me Enhancing it and Kelsey, maybe you're in the same boat. Like I have played all the WarioWare games like extensively. I think DIY was the only one I didn't really dig into. And it was it's been a long time where I've seen a bunch of WarioWare games that I WarioWare games that I don't know what to do. And I yes. really embraced that feeling because I was like, what is this now? What do I need to Oh, it's gone. All right, I guess I'll figure it out next time. Like I, I've played so much WarioWare in my life that like and I've seen so many games come back over and over, which is is fine. That's fun, but it's like it was nice to be very confused again, you know? Yeah, because they threw out pretty much every old Wario game. Like with Nine Volt, they have a lot of Nintendo so. stuff, so that's kind of like recycling well, some, a lot of that. But like new flavors of the same old, you know, like different yeah. 
way different things to pluck or whatever like it's, <laughs> there were still some s- similar things yeah i mean armpit hair and nose hair yeah, yeah yeah i feel like it needs to be said i feel like it's just everybody is so used to warrior wear and like oh this is nintendo just being weird but we need to praise nintendo being weird like this is genuinely i think one of the funniest games ever made like this game was annihilating maybe i just had too many beers or whatever while playing this game but going through that story <laughs> mode and seeing these stupid micro games just made me laugh like a maniac and then it's just if you actually pay attention to what's happening on the screen at any point where it's just Wario screaming, random verbs on the screen, the most random art you've ever seen in your life, while like literal air horns are going off. It is just the most obnoxious game ever made, but I love it for it. The art's yeah, like really good. Like, oh yeah, I I was really enamored by like how weird and sometimes kind of intentionally ugly it is. It's like <laughs> it's like if you. Some of them are like, okay, they're like, what if we took a kid's drawing, but then we imposed it on cardboard and then we added like an extra, a, a hyper realistic background, like just right. really weird. It's like very bizarre collages. Um, oh, one thing that surprised me as like a newcomer, because maybe this is, y'all can let me know if this is like in every game, but yeah. um, the nods to other IPs, I really enjoyed. Um, and that, that took me by surprise and it was fun being like, oh, what this is this game. And then you kind of have to use your knowledge a little bit of that game to like, do the mini game too, and I thought totally. that was super fun. Yeah, like I was playing co-op with my girlfriend who doesn't really play a lot of games, and I convinced her to play with me because I'm like, it's 2D. She's like, okay, I guess I'll give it a try. <laughs> and it was just like her face was melting. She's like, what the F is this game? I'm like, no, that's the point. You're supposed to be confused. But then the one that I really had a tough time with was like Splatoon, like the Splatoon micro game. I'm like, okay, yeah, so you have to determine where there's more paint. It's referencing this other game called Splatoon. Just aim for the cat where there's more paint. She's like, okay, sure. All right, Wario, you got me. <laughs> but there's that Kyle, the Breath of the Wild micro game. That's new, baby. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Splatoon is super fun to see Splatoon in there, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a good time. So I think it's going to be maybe a sleeper for this year, but I'm really enjoying WarioWare, and I want to keep playing those multiplayer modes because I'm surprised by how different they are. They have, like, basically Wario's equivalent of, like, Smash Brothers, where it's, like, randomizing through all the different hero characters, and then you're just trying to attack each other. There's a lot of really wild modes in there, like a lot of good Wario stuff. They pack in a lot of fun and creativity on the side, but I like it overall. Kelsey? No, I like it a lot, too. Yeah. You think you'll keep playing I, it, Kelsey? I, I do, too. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Um, I have not played multiplayer yet, which so I'm missing a huge chunk of it. Yeah. But uh, I'm excited. I, I feel like any WarioWare game, like you should just have one of those at home if you yes. ever have people over to play games. 100%. You don't have to play it for more than 10 minutes, but like it's just a fun, weird one to, to melt people's brains. Yes, but remember that you have to unlock multiplayer first. Uh, but yes, yeah. I, am, I am totally with you on that front for sure. Um, Kyle, we love having you here, but uh, we're going <laughs> to speed up. Uh, you want to give us one big clap, dude? Yeah. Okay. See ya. Bye, Kyle. Jeff Marchiafava, welcome to the podcast, sir. Hello. Thank you for being here. Uh, you're here just in time to talk about a series that you have basically zero experience with, so I hope you're ready Perfect. to go. Uh, Jeff, what is your experience with the Tales series, do you think? I've heard the name a lot. Okay. I feel like. <laughs> I mean, I think that's... That's about it. That is telling. Like, Tales has been one of those series and- that's been around <laughs> forever, and some people have dabbled, but you gotta give it up for them for sticking around for this long. But I did a Twitter poll... Uh, 36% of people following MinMax on Twitter, at least, have played a Tales game in the past. I feel and they like- all played Tales of Symphonia. I guarantee it is like 35 of that 36%. <laughs> that's what they've played. It was a very good game, to be fair, the Tales of Symphonia, but it just well, sold Juggernaut. It is the other breakout one. Um, 
the Tales series is so fascinating to me because it's first of all, it's huge in Japan. Yeah. Like it is almost Final Fantasy levels huge. They have Tales festivals, like fan festivals. They put out like all kinds of fan mangas and CDs and all this stuff like all year long. People love Tales over there. So it's a huge thing over there. Yeah. And here, I mean, they keep putting them out here. But it seems like it's just the same small group of people that are playing them year after year, which is why I'm so fascinated. The Tales of Arise seems to be another breakout one, like Symphonia. Yeah, yeah, it's blown up. And I don't know if that's just like the development on Steam of people being more friendly to JRPGs on Steam or whatever. But yeah, so there's been 60,000 concurrent players of Tales of Arise on Steam. It feels like this is at another level and it's paying off for them to really have poured a huge budget into this game. Like it feels like... It gives me a lot of the same vibes as Dragon Quest XI so far, which I really love Dragon Quest XI, but this even feels like Dragon Quest XI if it had twice the budget. It's kind of the basic vibe of this thing, but also JRPG as all hell. But yeah, what's your experience with Tales of Arise so far, Kelsey? Oh, this one specifically. Yeah. Um, it is dark as hell or it starts out dark as hell how how much have you played uh so i'm far? like so i'm on the first big boss lord balsef and i can't beat him okay. so that's probably three or four hours something like that okay yeah that sounds about right sure um so this game sometimes this is not the only tales game that starts off really dark um but it it starts off so freaking dark it is like I was taking some notes and I wrote down something in the intro where it's like their only escape is death. I'm like, my God, for an anime game, this is a uh, starting out pretty, uh, pretty dour here. Yeah, because um, the whole premise of the world is that there's kind of at least in the start, there are kind of two societies, the Denon and the Renin. <laughs> and one people are slaves to the other people and they're mining astral juices uh, for the other society. And then you say, nay, no more. What if there were no slaves, Jeffum? And that's kind of where the game <laughs> begins, at least. And then you're going around in different areas and kind of conquering one by one. Do they really so, call it astral juices? <laughs> no, what, what uh, do they call it, Kelsey? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something... Astral energy, I think? Yeah, okay. something like that. Some big... That's disappointing. <laughs> yeah, Mako reactor-looking <laughs> stuff, you know? It's, it's basically, yeah. So, I mean, compared to other Tales games, I think this one, uh, its strength is that it picks up pretty fast. Um, I've played nearly every Tales game uh, that's come out in the wow. U.S. Um, all the way back to uh, Tales of Fantasia, which was a Super Famicom game at first, came out on the Game Boy Advance here. Um, so, and that game's crazy. That game has, like, voice acting in it. That's a Super Famicom game. Oh, that's with voice wild. acting. Yeah, it's great. Um, so the the reason to get into this game, if you like JRPGs and if you like action at all, like the action and the combat in these games is really fun. And for me, that's what's kept me going through even the bad ones, because some of them are not great. Um, but the actual combat is fun and they do something a little bit different with it every time. Um, I heard this is the first one that is not multiplayer. Yeah. I haven't tried to play it multiplayer. This was news to me, actually. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and I think I saw it. It was either in the MinMax Discord or like on Patreon or something. Someone commented something like that. I was like, oh, it's not multiplayer? Normally, what's really cool about the series is you can have, um, you know, your friend, your little brother, your girlfriend, whatever, in the room with you. And just when you enter battles, you can have them control another character and join in on the action with you. And that, I don't know. It's a fun 
series to get really good at because the combo system is really deep, but um, doesn't require you to be super, super good at it. Like, you can just kind of grind a little bit and be fine. Yeah, yeah, and you kind of work your way up, and you're still... I'm still unlocking a lot more in this game. It seems like it just keeps layering one more thing onto the combat after another and everything like that. Um, but I think it's in a weird spot too now, and, and not that this is why maybe this one's selling so well, but the combat does remind me of like a Final Fantasy VII remake combat system in some ways. And I know that Tails obviously has been doing action combat since the beginning of time, but it's just weird that now that Final Fantasy has caught up to like action combat, now I wonder if some of that enthusiasm will like filter down and people will pick this up and be like, oh, it's kind of scratching more of that itch for a action-focused Final Fantasy combat. I hope people pick it up for that reason. I think it's really cool so far. And like, yeah, my experience is I played... Tales of Destiny 1 of one and 2, and then Tales of Symphonia, and then, like, dabbled in, like, Berseria and stuff like that. But it is it's surprisingly nostalgic to go back to it. It's just little things like, oh, that's right, apple gels. That's the healing thing in the Tales universe. Yeah. It feels like Although a comfort Although they're, they're different in this game because uh, they're usually a percentage um, that they heal. Like, apple gels heal 30% of your health, and now it's just, like, a flat amount. So they start becoming useless later in the game which is more like most jrpgs right where you right. have like a smaller potion at the beginning and then later on those small potions are just completely useless to you yeah but yeah i mean this one picks up pretty fast i feel like i cared about the characters and the world like probably only about three or four hours in um which is which is faster than most tales games to be perfectly honest um and you know, it's a little clumsy in some areas. Like, this is not... I don't think this is going to be my favorite one. Oh, really? Okay. Which is why it's very surprising to me that this is, like, the breakout one. Well, but, yeah, I mean, we haven't mentioned yet, but yeah, the reviews have been surprisingly high so far. But, yeah, we'll see. I have to wonder if people, like, just haven't... Like, these reviewers just haven't picked up a Tales game before, and it's more like the concept is super exciting and good them rather than this being the best of the tales games and that's that's not a dig at all like it's just i'm surprised it's getting such high reviews because it's just solid to me really oh that's interesting i mean maybe a lot of it is also the budget like it's just fun to see like big production values for a tales game and to see them go all out in this way compared to some previous installments that could be a big factor yeah i think that's true i do feel like they put more into this than normal but i mean so i'm like 22 or 23 hours in um i am at the what would be like the final sort of area on the uh the danon planet donnan planet whatever you want to call it um but i feel like it's very clearly setting up that that's you know there's no way this game is 30 hours long it's going to be much longer than that so but i feel like i could feel that from the beginning area it's like Okay, it's setting up these five places, and that's clearly not all you're going to do. Yeah, so it's a 35 <laughs> to 50 hours, according to How Long to Beat. And Jeffum, I know you're sick of JRPG tropes, but here's a twist for you. So it kind of starts out with kind of like this odd couple, a guy and a girl, and they're, they don't really get along in the beginning. We'll see where it evolves and stuff like this. And the guy has amnesia, which we've seen, <laughs> we've seen a million times. But hear me out. Hear me out. He has amnesia, so he doesn't remember if he's ever interacted with this woman before. But you gotta have it be equal. So they don't have the woman also have amnesia. The way they get around it is the guy in the beginning 
has an iron mask on that he can't take off. So the woman is not able to figure out if she recognizes the guy either. And Kelsey, okay. I don't want any spoilers. I'm not looking at that. I'm not. I'm, okay. I'm, I, I, I know you're looking at your face. But I love that setup of like the perfect thing of these two characters. I mean, like, do we know each other? I don't know. Because of just the absurdity of JRPGs, now there's no way of knowing whether or not we it's know each other. It's impossible for us to know. <laughs> yeah, it's That's very yeah, absurd. They are, the Tales games are full of anime tropes, like in JRPG tropes. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat that at all like that has to be something if if you want to get into these games it has to be something you can at least tolerate yes um because it's there it's it's plenty there there's always like you know there's someone who's super obsessed with food and you wouldn't it's the person you wouldn't expect to be super obsessed with food because she's really thin and tiny and everything and um comedy you know those those kind of things and and you know the two people who don't really like each other that much but you can tell maybe they actually do i mean it's it's cheesy it's very cheesy but honestly Um, i'm a man of simple pleasures kelsey and what makes me happy is uh games and rpgs where people yell the name of moves a lot and that is (laughs) all the series is about is people yelling the name of the moves they're doing and the other thing that makes me really happy and it's very rare to get into this situation but going into an rpg not knowing who the uh team members are like i haven't been following preview coverage that well so it's so fun jumping into a game like this and genuinely having no idea who's going to join my team who's going to drop out i think it's like a very unique thing that you can only get with certain rpgs that come out of the blue a little bit yeah and i think i mean every tales game it's like a final fantasy game where it's just like you have the same sort of like the names of the items are the same right and uh you'll have some of the same moves but the people and the worlds are always completely different um have no relation to one another so every time is just completely starting over you don't have to have played a single other tales game before this to get i mean there's nothing you're missing like literally nothing you're missing as far as as far as i can tell so far if you've never played one before yeah uh kelsey as a fan of tails and a fan of birds um i think you have 17 birds flying around your apartment or something what was your take on the owls in this game i'm trying to remember if that's a thing from the past but it is jarring in this game there's like owls that (laughs) show collectibles but they don't janet they don't have like owl sound effects it just literally sounds like somebody talking into a microphone like this going hoo hoo hoo." (laughs) i think it's hilarious what i think it it is so okay no the owls are new Um, okay there's always like a dumb mascot character uh in every in every tales game um and there's usually it's usually cats that are like a thing that you find around and it's like cats with a z um it but the owl thing yeah it's exactly what ben was saying it's It's obnoxious it's multiple different voice actors like it's not (laughs) the first time i heard it i was just like wow they got a really bad voice actor for the owl sound effect but then the next one i found rather than being like who who it was like who who <laughs> i think your first problem when you're making sounds for an owl is when you hire a voice actor instead of just getting the sound of an owl to put in there well by the second one i felt like it was clearly on purpose like this is supposed to be really stupid <laughs> and because of that it made me laugh if it was not supposed to be stupid if that was supposed to be serious then oh boy yeah the tail <laughs> series is really got a, got a big problem effects. but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna keep playing it i think i'm good for one big jrpg a year and i'm feeling really good about this one so far yeah, are, you, my time. are you liking the combat I am, except, yeah, I'm getting my ass kicked by that first boss. And I, if you have any hints for me, I'd appreciate it. I mean, you do have to learn a little bit about, like, you can't just button mash. You do have to yeah. learn a little bit about the um, 
the way the combos work and the the boost break thing that's going on in this game. Okay. Um, you have the ability to knock him down with that um, uh, D-pad up or whatever thing. Yep. You have, yep. you know, after you've done a combo of a certain percentage, you unlock that. Um, take advantage of those moments and try to, like, take a breath and time your dodges so you can get those counters okay. as well. That's, that's good advice. Yeah, it's, I think also I need just to go back and, and train and grind and do some more side quests and stuff because I kind of beelined it towards them and I think I'm just underpowered overall. Yeah. The okay. So here's a strange thing about the Tale series, at least uh, modern ones, that I actually want to hear everyone's opinions on because I think it's kind of a contentious one. Yeah. Um, Bandai Namco offers DLC that is just a couple dollars. That is, they're like packs of you know, level up five levels and here's some nice items for you, or um, you know, bunch of really good armor and maybe ten levels up. And there, it's. There's a bunch of different ones, and there's probably like 10 or 12 different combinations of, um, you know, kind of cheese the game a little bit stuff. But this is not a competitive game. This is no longer even a multiplayer game. It is a right. single player game. So I want to hear what are your thoughts on on that? I guess it'd be nicer if they had that and have it be free. Like, that'd be like the kindest option, because then it's like, OK, people who want to play this way and sort of, you know, cheat which i don't think cheating is like a bad thing when it's not again competitive like right, right. you want to cheat in like plenty of games where you jump over like through walls and stuff like who cares uh, this is not real life <laughs> i think it's important to remember but <laughs> the paid part um a little bit like less i guess you know for the player because you're kind of well i guess you're like i'm doing you a favor the, the the exchange is the money like i'm not mad at them charging for it and ultimately i think i'd rather have that as an option than not because i feel like if i look at that as a player and i'm like man, I don't want to pay for this. Like, I'm just paying to get my way out of, like, grinding through the thing. Like, I'm not going to do that. Okay, then I'll save my $2 and th put in 10 hours, or I can, like, exchange the two. Um, I like the option to at least exchange them, and I think it'd be, even though I, I think it'd be, a lot of people would get upset about it, so I think a lot of games, that's why they don't offer that, because people see it as, like, cheap or something or them being petty or them like oh you didn't design it balanced enough so now i have to buy my way out of the problem you created uh in a way i kind of wish more games offered that just because for me as someone that doesn't play a lot of jrpgs one of the big deterrents is just how much time it takes I'm like right. i gotta live in here like uh what am i gonna do quit my job like um so i like having at least a way to kind of expedite that even if you have to pay yeah I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, Kelsey. And this is a very specific case, but like, you know, I, I got a code for this game. And so it was like the premium edition or whatever the hell it was. So it was a matter of like going in like, okay, there's some downloadable things. What is this? And it's like, oh, here's oh, so just, they're, they're free for you. Yeah. Or, you know, so it's just like, free. hey, here's 500,000 gold. I'm like, what? Like, you're just handing me all of this stuff optionally. Here's a bunch of costumes you can get, which shows the main character's face. I'm like, damn it. I didn't want to see that before I got to that point in the story, which I'd imagine was coming up. Um, so he, it, he's on the cover with his face. Oh, is that right? So, see, I'm so going you know. in that blind. I didn't even <laughs> see the cover this is just straight digital um but yeah it, it kind of grosses me out but i guess if you want to pay it go for it i don't know jeff let me think the community should be up in arms over this uh i, I guess i agree that it's a little a little gross I, I think the problem for me is that it it offers this temptation to the developer 
to try and make more money out of it by right. screwing up the balance of the game. Yes. And I, I'm not I'm not going to judge my opinion on that based on Hanson not being able to pass the first boss Smart. because that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. But if if the overall impression Damn. was, hey, this game's way too hard or you have to do way too much grinding in order to keep up with it, then that kind of rubs me the wrong way. If it if it's if it's you know, sensible and decent throughout that, you know, like you could normally do it, but it's, but it's just added as an option. If you want to kind of fast track your way through it, then it doesn't bother me as much. But I think that's as soon as the developer adds that option, I feel like there's just this ultimate temptation of like, well, you know, if we crank it up a little bit, we could make more money from it. And that's yeah. Where it, I mean, that was the Assassin's Creed Odyssey debacle, right? Like, they had that DLC yeah. right at the beginning that kind of boosted you through that area. I think it was Odyssey that had that, and it was... Yeah, it's tough to trust people with that. Um, yeah, and this is this one does feel a little bit steeper in terms of level progression of enemies yeah. than I think it... I mean, it's, you know, it's been a little while since the last one I played, so I, my memory's not perfect, but it it felt a little steep to me. Like, I would just hit level 20, and I'd be finding only level 23 enemies and i'm like i feel like at this point i should be the same level as the enemies right so um it's it's a little steep but yeah i think i mean i'm i agree with all of these points it's like i like that the option is there but at the same time if it's at all tempting then that might say something about the developer rather than um if it's not tempting otherwise like if you're just playing through normally then and it's fine, and you never really run into any huge snags, and I think it's fine. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to say about this game, and I think this is true of a lot of JRPGs, but because we're kind of going through these areas in such a such a fast clip, um, that's, that's a good and a bad thing for me, because I care about the story a lot faster, and I care about these people a lot faster, but the tragedies don't hit as hard. Because I haven't had as much time to get to know them. Right, right. Yeah, this idea of speeding up a JRPG story a little bit. Yeah, I guess I can see that compared to some old RPGs where you just feel like you're living in this area, living in this town for hours and hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Okay, so the drama isn't hitting. It's interesting. I mean, I've heard nothing but glowing praise for this, so it's nice to hear a Hardcore Tales fan be like, "Eh, slow your roll a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, it's very good. I'm not, like, this is not... To say don't play it at all because yeah. I think especially if this is your first Tales game I think you're gonna have a great time. Yeah. Um, it's not my favorite one, and so it being the breakout one. But I mean, to be fair, Symphonia wasn't my favorite one either, and that is another breakout one. So. And your favorite is. Oh, uh, Abyss or Vesperia, probably. Those okay. Are the, those are the two contenders, and Vesperia is out on um, Switch, PS4, I think Xbox as well. They did like a definitive version. It was um. A 360 game here. That's right. Um, and a PS3 game in Japan because they don't play Xbox in Japan. <laughs> but uh, they did like the definitive edition, which comes with all of that DLC for free. All of that hey, level up, five levels. That sounds great. That's good game. <laughs> astral juice. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this game. Uh, this game isn't on Switch, but it's on everything else. If you want to check it out. So Tales of Arise, everybody. I'm looking forward to continue playing it. Um, real quick, Janet. This Life is Strange saga. All episodes of Life is Strange Shoe Colors are out now, but based on the first episode, how are you feeling about it? Um, I like it, and I'm excited to continue. Uh, this is another, I feel like this is the era of like review hype, where it's like, 
what does this mean for me as a player or a fan of this franchise or the studio? Right. Um, I have a a complicated relationship with Life is Strange because oh. I love story games. Uh, and I, I did like the first game, even though I think the writing is can be very cringy. Oh, yeah. I liked the second game um, a good amount, but I didn't finish it. Loved Captain Spirit as an in-between. Hated Before the Storm, which uh, was a Deck Nine game. And this is also a Deck Nine game. So I was like, Deck Nine, I don't know. Like, I was I was ready. I was like, I'm scared. I, I'll be honest, I don't trust you. I just don't. I didn't like your <laughs> game last time. Yeah. Um, so far, this, is, this has been cool. Like, uh, it's also, I just want to say it's like, I think the best looking Life is Strange game, oh, which yeah. I know people don't really like come to it for the, the graphics. But, um, you know, it is nice being in like, you know, a cozy, cute, quaint little town. And I think this just like looks so much better than the other games have looked. So that was the first thing that stuck out to me. Um, and I think the writing so far, it hasn't really ran into any like teen cringe. I think that might help that I, it seems like the main character, Alex, might be like a little bit on the older side, like more in like the early 20s than like 17 or something. Like she's an adult and like her brother has a job and she's like existing as an adult in the world. I also think that um, some people have spoken about, you know, Deck Nine versus Don't Nod in terms of their like background as studios. Like Deck Nine is either in Colorado or somewhere similar. So they I kind of in Colorado, maybe can yeah. speak more. Yeah. Speak more to like American writing than like people always talked about, like don't nod like French writing, like for teen American girls, like it never really, yeah. it never really landed. So, um, so far I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic on this one. Everyone I know loves it. So I'm like kind of trusting those people to carry it through. Um, my biggest criticism so far is I'm not feeling like, the drama of it like i guess kind of similar to the tale the tales comment like i i want to be excited and intrigued and nothing really is intriguing me yet it's just like well the world's pretty and the writing is solid and like you know it's still fun to walk around and like you know hit select and be like gotta do those dishes and then you know go down to the bar and like have those elements but i'm i'm excited for like the more drama bits to unfold like what's really going to get compelling um, I think the power is okay so far. Nothing crazy. Like the the empathy thing isn't as cheesy as I was worried it would be. But I'm not really seeing how it's gonna play out in an intriguing way yet. Right. Um, I'm playing with my brother, and he's he's more into it than I am at this point. Um, but we, I think it's a good game, and I'm excited to see through the rest of the episodes. Yeah, I feel like you, you flew by that concept of yeah, the superpower in this time this time around is empathy, which it seems yes. like is just kind of like looking at faces and understanding when people are sad. So what it's like an so to explain further it's like an aura thing so okay. like um it's not just when someone has a heightened emotion like it is it's empathy basically but it's like a way more extreme version so it'd be like if you know Ben was really really scared I could see his aura of fear and I could kind of hear his thoughts and almost experience the fear like directly in a way that impacts me so you know like I like it impacts my emotions directly so then there's maybe going to be I'm guessing ways in which okay i have to now interact with ben in a way i gotta calm him down because i gotta calm myself down by calming him down so that's why i kind of describe it as like the power of empathy but yeah, yeah yeah that is how it functions in the game where you can kind of see what people are thinking it doesn't really extreme it doesn't sound i i, I like the first life is strange i played through that one um but when you think of like you know fantasies about superpowers, the idea of the empathy thing, especially in a video game, it's like, all right, I like it. We're in a new era of games where this is a possibility. But I don't know if that makes it more fun. But I'm curious to to hear your thoughts when you can, in, yeah, if you get a chance to continue playing this thing, Janet. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, that was Life is Strange. True colors, everybody. Um, hey, Jeff, do you know how this whole thing operates? 
Astral juice. Astral juice primarily, which can be found at <laughs> patreon.com slash minmax with two N's. If you like this show, you can support it or join it over on Patreon. We'd love to have you. Um, and thanks to wonderful supporters like Fatal X Blade on YouTube. Uh, they say, Lucas, a fellow patron, wants you to check out his YouTube channel, Fatal X Blade. Let me pop it up on the screen. That's Fatal X Blade with two spaces. His YouTube channel is primarily focused on highly edited reviews on the newest games. Each review features a short parody at the beginning of the video. He just uploaded a review for Life is Strange True Colors. Oh my God. And he wants some feedback. So head on over to Fatal X Blade on YouTube and subscribe and drop him a comment. Thanks so much uh, to Lucas for supporting Minmax in a big way. And yeah, congratulations on leaning into your own YouTube channel in a big way here. I think that's really exciting. So go leave a comment for his Life is Strange True Colors review because I bet he has played all chapters. So that was just a tease from Janet. Then this is for the full experience. Thanks to Fatal X Blade. We appreciate it. Also, thank you to Fixture Gaming. They want you to know about the Fixture S1, which is a mount that you put on your Switch Pro controller and then put the actual Switch screen on top of that so you can play with the best controller for the Nintendo Switch anywhere in the world. It's very convenient. You can check out their site. There's a link below if you want a direct link to check that out. It's $35 for the Switch uh, Fixture S1. Also, you can get the carrying case. There's also a bundle if you're interested in that. And, Jeffum, you can use the promo code MINMAX. Two ends, promo code MINMAX for $5 off if you buy it from Fixture Gaming's website. But that's not all, because we are doing a giveaway every single week throughout the month, thanks to the fine folks at Fixture Gaming. So if you would like to win a custom MINMAX Fixture S1 for free, you can. Uh, we had a giveaway uh, this last week on Twitter, and Josh Lobes from South Dakota won a free Fixture S1. And so this week, it is going to be on Instagram. So follow MinMax on Instagram. It's MinMax Show on Instagram. We have updates each and every day. Every morning, I do an obnoxious video talking about what we're working on. Then we also have updates after that. Uh, we have Brian Vore running the Instagram channel now. So that's very exciting. So anyways, follow us on Instagram, and there will be a giveaway coming up very soon. And... I don't want to tell anybody what to do, but we have more Twitter followers by a large amount than we do Instagram followers. So your chances of winning are much, much higher if you want to fix your S1. If you go over to Instagram, give us a follow. So we'd appreciate it. Uh, also, thanks to IM8Bit, our dear friends at IM8Bit. They want everybody to know about Mutazion, the double vinyl soundtrack. It's for the adventure game that came out a while ago. It's available on Steam in other places but it is a double album uh, with music by Alessandro Caranas and album art by Nils Denikin. It's mastered for vinyl by Townsend Mastering. So check that out. And you can go to I Am 8-Bit's wonderful online store. Anything in that store under $100 you can get for 10% off by using the promo code WAKEMEUP, um, which I was recently told is a music reference. I thought it was like an Evanescence reference. I think it's something else they're going for in September here, Kelsey. I, I thought, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I definitely thought it was the Evanescence one. I know. It's I was like, like, Evanescence is music. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, you're either a Green Day person or an Evanescence person. There's nothing in between. You can but be both. You can be it's both. It's not the first one I thought of. That's right. When it comes to me for Wake Me Up, I am an eight, I am 8-bit person. The point is, just go to their online store and use the promo code Wake Me Up, no space for 10% off. We'd appreciate it because each and every week, they're very generous. They ship out a wonderful prize from their online store to a member of the MinMax community. Anybody who supports us at any tier over on Patreon can submit a question each and every week for the MinMax Show podcast. They help support independent games media at the same time. 
and then they have the chance of winning this prize. And this week, it's a very good one. This is the Cuphead CD set. Songs and Sketches. It's the Cuphead CD from iMateBit Import from Japan, and it has exclusive Cuphead tracks on it. So iMateBit will ship that out to whoever has the best question of the week. So Kelsey, I know you're a listener. Thank you for listening. But this is your responsibility now to remember each and every question, including... Even Mitch's at the start of the show. Community kickoff does not mean they're disqualified, so he's in the mm. running as well. Okay. Okay, here we go. Uh, Chris Prohaska writes in and says, Hello, Min Max. If you had to integrate any video game protagonist outfit into your wardrobe, whose would it be? And yes, you have to wear it out in public at least once a month. This is tough. <laughs> the video game. Does, it have to be a, does it have to be a protagonist? Like, it can't just be... Ooh. Uh, uh, forget the protagonist. I think any video game character... Yeah, oh, we're cheating already. I yeah, see. I see hard uh, yes. Yeah, but Janet, you had, did, you say, did you say Artful Escape? Yeah, um, I beat that game. I wasn't that you know hot on it as we had talked about in a previous episode, but um, they have well, like it's very light spoilers because it's in their own marketing. It's one of those things, you know how it goes. Um, where you get to like mid game and you can kind of customize what um, Francis looks like. And the clothes are like my perfect brand of over the top, gaudy, kind of ugly, but kind of cool, like blue jackets with feathers everywhere. Like, I just really want to desperately be Emily Hayes and I'm not like from metric. Um, but yeah, that's my dream. Like, I would love to have items in that closet. And I swear to God, one of the jackets in that game, I'm like, I have this kind of ugly, gaudy jacket. And yeah, I would love that closet. You seem like Janet. I mean this sincerely. You seem kind of like a cool person. Like, I feel like you could wear Thanks. some obnoxious clothes and get away with it. Do you feel like you could do that? Or would you be self-conscious wearing, like, some Artful Escape style stuff on the sidewalk? Oh, no. I love wearing, like, kind of over-the-top stuff. Like, I have, like, a lot of my jackets are kind of over-the-top. Like, I have that green camo one that has, like, studs on the arms and, like, bedazzled bees. Like, right. I don't know what that is. But I saw it at H&M and I loved it. And I, like, rock it all the time. Um, and a lot of the clothes there were, like, very much my style. Like, they had... Basically, like, okay, these aren't Doc Martens because you'd get sued, but they're Doc Martens. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I'd love that closet. Yeah. Jeffem is wearing his most gaudy t-shirt today for the podcast. Pretty much. <laughs> I know. Kelsey, yeah. Were you thinking of a certain video game character? Well, I feel like, I mean, this is kind of to Janet's point. I feel like there's a lot of really good Pokemon gym leaders Ooh, that fall into good, this. Good. Um, the one I was thinking of, what's her name from Black and White? Is it El- Elsa? Elisa. That's her name. She's the, she's the, like, electric one who has the crazy, um, I guess you'll just have to look her up, but look at her. she's got Good the, God. like, <laughs> what? She's, it's like she's wearing, she's, she's like, like a bee. Right? Yeah, she's like a bee, but with, like, cool, she's got, like, jacks coming out of her helmet hair it's, thing. Like, it's, it's, it's cool, it's over-the-top stuff, but. So you're saying cool. you could wear this in public once where it's, like, a bikini and then, like, giant inflated marshmallow arms? <laughs> what is this? Oh, you're looking at the black and white two one. Oh, maybe, think, maybe, maybe that's, that's the top of the Google image thing. Okay, there's she has two outfits. And okay, I forget which one is which? But her other one's just like a dress with some high yellow high heels that are really killer. That is um, good. I'm not saying I'm confident enough to pull it up, but there's some there's some good over the top stuff, and I just feel like that's the if you're a Pokemon gym leader, like that's what you should be doing. Like yeah. the ones who dress boring, it, I don't think that's acceptable. I think that if you're a Pokemon gym leader, you need yeah. to take it way over the top. Like the Megala like, video games. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yes. yes. You need to look <laughs> half like a Pokemon yourself. Like you need to blur that line and confuse people because you just got so much style. 
Whereas, yeah, Jeff, I'm, I think we're super boring people. Like, I literally Googled, in response to this question, I Googled most boring video game character to see if we could pull off that wardrobe. <laughs> and the number one answer was Aiden Pierce from Watch Dogs. Even his wardrobe, I would not be comfortable wearing. It's like it's like that cool jacket that's got too many layers and angles yeah, to it. I much. couldn't do it. What about, like, Ness from Earthbound? Oh, the shirt with some shorts. So funny. That was exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> Two iPads. <laughs> I mean, that would be okay, but it would look like I was cosplaying an eight-year-old boy. You know, I'd have to have yeah. like I'd have to have like <laughs> big league chew my, in my mouth. It'd be creepy. No one wants that. My my cheap answer would be uh, Animal Crossing: New Horizons because mm. that's basically just t-shirts and shorts, and you can design them to be whatever you want. So yeah, there you go. But what if it's so original? your answer is just a complete cop out? It's just whatever's yeah. in your current. <laughs> exactly. <order>. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I, maybe maybe the twist, maybe it has to be Animal Crossing Villager from the first one. And not even Villager, mm. I'm sorry, but protagonist. So you have to wear the hat with the horns. You have to wear the obnoxious <laughs> eco horns around as you're uh, walking around the neighborhood with your kid and all that fun stuff. Well, I mean, there's you- like 10,000 uh, clothing options in Animal Crossing. So you could go as a mummy if you wanted to. Okay. You know. All yeah. right. You can mix and match it, Which, I suppose. Yeah. I, I, so you guys aren't going to get into any like Kingdom Hearts Outfits is what you're saying. I know. I was thinking like Cloud has like some cool, like a cool look to him. You do Ooh. love Cloud. I do love. Honest. Okay. Now I'm thinking Final Fantasy. I mean, I I think I could do Squall's clothes from Final Fantasy VIII. It's a little puffy, yeah. but I could wear that once a month. I feel like I could I could wear it in a certain situation. I feel like I feel like please do Hanson. Oh, okay. Maybe I will. Huh, make, make that a <laughs> make that a Patreon goal. Yeah. Ooh. Or maybe on the square front, uh, for spoken. The main character there, like in that latest trailer, she was just kind of wearing mm, a plaid she's wearing shirt. Regular clothes. <laughs> yeah, I'll take hers. Just the sweater. Yeah. Anything set in modern day in just a normal, like yeah, there's just regular clothes everywhere in video games right now. So I feel like it's easy to do a cop out answer here, but yeah. I would go total over the top Final Fantasy or Pokemon gym leader or something like that. I think that's I think that's what you got to do. Right. Like, yeah. I assume you just get this outfit for free, right? I yeah. Think so, that's I think yeah. part of it. Yeah. yeah. I like I mean, I'm not going to make it, but. Yeah, I would go as like, um, yeah, Ultimecia. Like, I'll just choose like the most outlandish Final Fantasy final boss, just like barely mortal. I think that's kind of <laughs> my default. It was the outfit. house from. Hell House as an outfit? Yeah. <laughs> now we're attacking. Yeah, are you kidding? I do feel like um, maybe it's just me. Jeff, I assume we're in the exact same camp, but I hate clothes I, I can confidently say that and it, like with the pandemic i feel like it's been an excuse i don't think i've bought new clothes in like three years realistically absolutely i i just had to buy a new pair of pants because my old ones had were finally getting a hole in them it's like a pair of jeans and my wife finally got me to buy a new pair of jeans that look exactly like the old pair of jeans and i'll wear them for another I 10 years i can't identify with this at all <laughs> yeah. Honestly, you should. Oh man, Splatoon. Ooh, that's correct. good. Correct. I feel like we can all agree on Splatoon, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we got some fun stuff. Yep, and Jeff can be the cat. Uh, Kyle Silva Perfect. writes in and says, "Welcome back to the show, Kelsey." Uh, Kinsey Burke mentioned on Nasty Labs. These are words I'm not familiar with. That she saw you at PAX West this year. How was it? Did you get to try any games at the show? And how do you feel about the smaller size of the show? PAX was so interesting this year. Um, I don't know why it happened other than I think a, too much money had probably already been like put into it that would literally evaporate if they didn't do it. Yeah. So I think that's the only reason it happened. Um, basically, if you're not familiar, PAX West is a, a giant conference here out in Seattle, just big video game event. Um, 
basically every publisher pulled out, um, every major company. So there was no Capcom, no Bethesda, no Ubisoft, no Nintendo, no Microsoft, no Sony. Bandai Namco was the star of the show there. That was the biggest booth. Wow. Um, other than that, it was all indies. Um, and myself, I go with the... I, run a store called Pink Gorilla Games here in Seattle. So uh, we have a booth there too. Um, for us, it was incredible because people showed up and there was not a lot to do. So, uh, and I think for the indies there too, it was also incredible because it's like, they're just, you're not competing with Call of Duty or the new like hot games. So people have already paid for their ticket. They're already there. They just start playing indie games and exploring and, um, Probably doing some stuff that they don't normally get to do at a PAX because they have to wait in a six-hour line to play the next Nintendo game. Right. Did it feel like a ghost town? Did it still feel populated enough to the point that it was a little bit scary? It was really strange. Um, Because it's normally like... That is a huge convention center. It takes up uh, every floor of the convention center. It spills out into the hotels across the street. Um, That's the usual PAX. It's like 90,000 people attend or something like that. Uh, I don't think they, there's no way that it was even half of that this year. And it, yeah, it felt a little, I don't want to say ghost town because there were definitely still people there, but it was, it was weird. It was like going in a time machine back to like 2005 when this event first started kind of right, thing. Right, right. Oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, that's so bizarre. Uh, yeah, weird times. Um, Chandler Miller writes in and says, hello, Kelsey. I love your podcast. Thanks. And they say, hello, Min Max. I love your podcast, too. That's fine. We can't compete with the Video Game History <laughs> Hour. It's, it's the most educational podcast out there. Um, they say, you know how old video games are often kind of bad? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Partly because they were limited by their technology, but also because people didn't know a lot about game design. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think if you sent a few modern video games back to the year 1980, it would dramatically change the video game timeline? Could we have dropped the idea of lives and games even sooner? I mean, I feel like we dropped that within the last five years, which is a godsend. Or maybe it's just Nintendo did. Oh, you definitely um, still have lives. You just don't I, call them lives. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Um, I do love this as just the weird thought experiment of forget sending modern video games, but like I'm very into the idea of sending designers back in time. Like if you sent designers back to mm. 1980, what could they make that would just like lock it in as clearly this is the future they're gonna just make a gigantic splash like what do you think is the well, best even design? what would like what would like current miyamoto tell like 25 year old miyamoto uh try harder with Wii music i think would be <laughs> number one suggestion um yeah i know that's a that's a good question i mean do you think if miyamoto could go back in time he would say drop lives in mario brothers i doubt it <laughs> i don't think so yeah i mean but okay i think maybe another example maybe not to call Miyamoto stubborn, but maybe he's probably on the more stubborn end of the spectrum when it comes to designers. I think it's somebody like a Tim Schafer, like go back and have him work on some of those original LucasArts adventures game, adventure games. And like, how smooth could he make those games? How many hints could they pack into those games? How many puzzles could they rearrange just to make it so much more approachable? Um, but I, yeah, I was thinking about if you got a designer that went back in time, like what game could they technically have released back in the day that would change everything? You know, I remember when we talked about Loop Hero at the start of the year, it's like if they re- released a version of Loop Hero for the Apple II, they probably technically could have done something in that vein and it could be one of just like the all-time greats now. 
Yeah, so that's something I'm not clear on with this question. I yeah. mean, are you sending back this game like fully formed, and do they have uh, do they have the means to pick it apart and then like create the technology? Like, it gets messy, right? Like, maybe are we just showing them like gameplay footage and saying like hands off will be, but like yeah, yeah, I <laughs> but you can't. Mm, I'm not giving you 64 bit technology or whatever. Right. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it, it's like giving Ben Franklin a, a smartphone. And being like, here you go, change history. And just be like, what is this magic? <laughs> no, maybe it's like, okay, what about this? What What's that uh, preview program that people use now? Uh, where you uh, Parsec. Yeah, maybe it's like Parsec. So they don't actually get their hands on, you know, the so Terminator 2 <laughs> style tech, you know, but instead it's just like, yeah, there's going to be a little bit of lag, but instead they get to experience the game and take lessons from it, but won't actually get the hardware. <laughs> I guess then maybe just... You know, this is like a weird assignment, but I guess if we had it, we'd probably want to list out what are the we think some of the best like innovative concepts in games. Because then, you know, if you can't replicate the technology, maybe you're still yeah. can do the concept. So, you know, something like fast travel. Like, I'm not sure what the first game. Like, I always wonder, like, what was the first game to like do X thing? Yeah. Um, like, I thought about that the other day with um, like I tweeted out what was the first game where you could like throw a rock or a bottle to distract an enemy? And like, I don't, I still don't really know. But something like that but maybe less played out because also i don't want everyone doing i don't know there's always these game design waves where something becomes really normalized and sometimes it's for really good reasons and sometimes it just gets really played out so mm-hmm. yeah, i'm thinking broader paw. i'm thinking like you show them that you can have uh like really deep stories even in 8-bit games you know like they're at least on the nes it took a while for there to be like you had RPGs, right? Like, you had plenty right. of RPGs, but they were pretty simple, and they've come a long way since then in terms of, like, narrative design. Um, yeah. even I mean, even going back and showing, like, I mean, beginnings of adventure games and, um, and visual novels and stuff were already there by this time, so it's, it's hard to, like, really say this was brand new and, you know, no one would have ever seen this before, but maybe seeing some of those things where they're they're married a little bit more in the future and you send it back more. I don't yeah. know exactly where I'm going with no, this. I th- but. I think no, there's, I, I think that's I smart. think that's probably like the, the best answer of, because a lot of those early video games, they thought of them more explicitly as games. And I think probably the most valuable thing you could do is show them like, no, this can, this can be like narrative entertainment. This can be storytelling. This can be, you know, people can empathize with these characters. Like, Though that kind of shift early on would probably have a much bigger impact than saying like, okay, well here, you know, like, hey, I made this huge sprawling open world game and, you know, a designer 20 years ago is like, we have, you know, a hundred thousand bytes to work with. How? Yeah. I put that on a floppy disk, you know, like I, I don't know because so many of those games were limited by technology. It's not that the designers didn't have you know, grandiose ideas of what they wanted to do with the games. They just, it was in terms of what they could actually do with that technology. But I bet that that kind of shift of, of what video games could be would have a greater impact. Even, yeah, showing something like an Undertale, uh, where it's like technologically they could wrap their minds around it, but just the way that story is presented would be in a much more engaging way than they were going for back with Dragon Quest One and Final Fantasy One and all that stuff. Also, I think, you know, not to be the simpleton here, but if you just screamed over and over again, 
easier, faster, easier, faster for the first 30 years of video games, I feel like. Just show them WarioWare and say just more stuff like this, everybody. You can get highfalutin with your stories, but if you could just make this approachable and fast. Yeah, I but all that stuff was by design because they only have so much it can work with so you have to make it hard because otherwise you beat the game in 30 minutes and you're like why did i spend 60 dollars which because it's right. 1980 that's actually 110 dollars or whatever yeah. on this well that's why or, that's why or it was arcades and you only wanted to play for five minutes right well that's why you do the ultimate twist on this question where you go back in time and you show them rogue and you say hey that game that's already out right over there just do more of that, but in a smarter way, because that's going to be the future for really prolonging your game sessions. Trust us. People won't return your game if it's a good version of that. Uh, good question, Chandler. Uh, Taylor C. writes in and says, I enjoy creating a character, but too many options make it feel overwhelming. What is your favorite part of a character creator screen? And what is your least favorite? Hmm. Tough. I like uh, the hair. I don't know why, but doing like a weird color and weird hairstyle is always a fun part of a character creator to me. And I don't have, do you guys have like a color that you settle on for your character's hair and stuff? Do you do anything weird like that? Like I usually yeah. have pink hair, but. Ooh, that's good. I'm usually black or gray. Real creative stuff. Boring. <laughs> yeah. Gray's funky. I like gray and like a younger Tons character. Plain shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I usually try to go with like whatever my hair color is, but then I'll look at what the dyed options are because I've always wanted to dye my hair and one day hope to eventually get around doing that. So I'll look for like, okay, well, maybe I can put like a streak in it or what what are the other color options? So like in Sunset Overdrive or something, like I don't have my completely natural hair color, but I have like what I would want to have if I didn't have to put the money and time and care into doing it in real life. Yeah, I, I think hair is good because it's not going to hit you with that uncanny valley unlike every other adjustment you make. And a character creator where it's like, my least favorite's always just like the small jawline thing or it's always like the eyes, how far away the eyes are. I'm like, at a certain point, I don't even know what I'm doing here. I'm not going to be yeah. able to fine tune this to like, oh, perfect. We're not creative enough or artistic yeah. enough in most cases. No, <laughs> and, and you, you really just slide it one way, all the other way, and it's like, oh, that looks freaky, then yeah. all the way back, and it's like, that looks freaky, and then you just put it back in the middle where it was <laughs> yes. to begin with. Yep. My answer was also hair because I think that that just has the biggest impact without me having to mess with all of those little things. Right. It's like you can completely change the look of your character by just like flipping through five things and then being like, oh, that one looks the most natural unless it's a Bethesda game. And then then you just go bald, I guess. Correct. <laughs> uh, Although I do think that even though I don't like actually having to mess with the, you know, jaw slider and all of that stuff, my favorite part of a character creator is the, the first thing I do is just make something as hideous as possible and then laugh and then I go back to normal. Yep. That's, yeah. By the way, <laughs> you have to test the limits of it. Like how stupid yeah. can I make myself look? All right, now, now let's do this for real. Yeah, that's a very good video game specific thing that in retrospect, we probably should have named MinMax. Uh, it's Jawslider, jawslider.com. <laughs> People know what you're talking about. Anyways, uh, let's see. Uh, Jordan Blaney writes in and says, hello, MinMax. Ken on Bridge of Spirits comes out next Tuesday. God, I keep forgetting about that. That's right there. Uh, which also happens to be on my birthday. Congratulations, Jordan. Uh, it's got me thinking if I could remember any other big game releases on my birthday and this was the first. Does the MinMax crew have any memorable game releases on or near your birthday? So I had to go to Randomly Moby Games Googling. for this. Yeah, I, I had to go to Moby Games for this and just like go through, you know, my birthday week over the past 30 years or whatever. <laughs> um, but 
one of them jogged my memory, which is that Pokemon Snap came out like the day before my birthday, the Ooh. original one. And I got that game for my birthday. I didn't know that it had come out the day before because I was really too young at that point to be like pouring over magazines and being like, when's, when's the next release date? But um, yeah, that was like a really big one for me. I got my Nintendo 64 and Pokemon Snap like the day after that came out. That's impressive. Either your parents were scrambling like the day before or they were that in the know where they knew that, all right, put a pin on the calendar. This is when we can actually buy Pokemon Snap. I, I thought that too. Yeah, I, I mean... Was okay. Was it out at Blockbuster before it came out for real, though? Oh, I don't know. Because I'm trying to think of how they would have known that, other than just I was a big Pokemon fan. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. Um, yeah, not even that good. It mine, mine's in April, um, so it's like uh, Resident Evil month, I guess. But I do remember it was very sweet that um, I remember the Final Fantasy VII remake, the first episode of the Deepest Dive that we did. It was uploaded on my birthday, and I thought like, oh, this is a good. This is a good day. Like this huge thing about this game that I care a lot about with like a bunch of old friends going up on my birthday. That, that was enough for me. Uh, Doreen Claire writes in and says, Hi, Kelsey. Hi. What's your favorite little factoid from video game history? Bonus points if it's totally useless trivia. Good God. I, I wanted to come up with a super good one for this and was struggling because I probably have a hundred really funny ones, but... <laughs> Instead, I'm going to leave you with one that I'm actually, I'm still working on verifying, but it's going to be really funny if it's true. So I was interviewing this guy, um, his name is Andy Swanson. He worked at Nintendo of America and at Pokemon for a while, and uh, he worked on the e-reader here at Nintendo, the, you know, little e-reader device, and you had the yeah. little cards you would slide and everything. He says that each one of those e-reader cards was its own submission, like, as a game at Nintendo, and so technically speaking... The person who has launched the most video games at Nintendo is this random guy, Andy Swanson, <laughs> with like over 400 e-reader cards. That is perfect. That is exactly so what I'm, I'm looking for. I, I'm working on like actually verifying this because I was like, man, yeah, could anyone possibly beat that? Like even with just the, you know, Miyamoto's like a producer on literally everything. Right. right. But I'm like, but over 400 games? Like... I don't know. I think it's close. I think that's going to be close because you count like all the Mario spinoffs. I mean, yeah, his name has to be on everything. Ooh, it's a yeah. lot. But think about, I mean, how many Nintendo games come out a year? Like, right. it's, I don't know. Compared to just a deck of cards being thrown at the screen. Yeah, right, that, exactly. that's tough. Um, God, on the, there's an episode of the Video Game History Hour recently where you were talking about uh, Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> I don't know if I should explain it, but like a promotional thing for Banjo-Kazooie. Do you want to explain how this worked yeah. and what it was? Okay, that, that's funny because that was one of my backup ones oh, for this. I was like, if I can't think of anything else, this will be a stupid one that will make people laugh. So there was a contest, um, just a little promotional thing, you know, especially back in those days before Twitter and all of that. Like these PR people had such incredible budgets to do the absolute dumbest stunts with. <laughs> And so the PR people um, working on Banjo-Kazooie, and I think this was on the Nintendo side, not like the Rare side or anything, um, they took a bunch of kids to a honey factory and they filled like this vat, like this kind of swimming pool thing with a honey water solution, like this sticky, gross, like, and you would go diving in this. For copies of the game and other merch, which, of course, you know, it's like in a plastic bag, so it doesn't get wet. Sure. But like, 
so many levels of why to this. So and <laughs> you would feel. I'm sure the kids just felt so gross, and like they gotta get in the car after that. Like what? <laughs> I'm trying to imagine. Like, did they originally plan on like, oh, wouldn't it be fun to have like a big vat of honey they have to dive into? But then it's like, oh, that's that's way too expensive. Let's water it down. So it's like this weird I don't water. Think you can swim like, in honey. No, I think you would die. <laughs> yeah. wow. Is that right? Also. Hearing this, it sounds like when we're coming up with new show plus ideas and we start with like the dumbest thing we can come up with. <laughs> yeah, and then we get down well, to just... The fact that Ben hasn't pitched this to us yet blows my mind. Look, I Oh, mean, I think you should do it. I think so, yeah, yeah. Save it for like the dead of winter in Minnesota, though. Just like outdoor honey water pit that we got to go bobbing <laughs> for games in. This is good. Oh, is there... Are there photos or anything of this gross honey pit? There is a photo in the press release they sent out. Um... Yeah, I wish I had it on me. I'll see if oh, I can grab it for okay. you. Maybe you can awesome. tweet it out or something it like that. It can be the thumbnail for this episode <laughs> of the podcast on YouTube. Uh, let's see. Ramsey's Gar- uh, Garcia says, seeing how many headlines got the Epic versus Apple ruling wrong because they rushed, should writers wait longer before posting stories? Some of the things they got wrong are apps can't have other payments inside the app. They can restrict and force apps to use Apple's system in the app. Apple is still owed a cut when apps link out. They found Apple's contracts reasonable and enforceable. The rush to publish the story really hurt reporting and public perception. Jeff, were you following this closer? Like, I know this lawsuit came to an end and it was kind of like one side was like, Apple won, then uh, Epic kind of won after all. Did you follow this yeah, thing? Yeah, I, <laughs> I may not have seen it right away. I only saw the headlines that were like, Epic won. But then also Epic was appealing some things. And, and I was like, why? It seems like Apple largely... <laughs> I'm so sorry for being stupid on this front. We need like Shannon Lau on this podcast or something. Well, that was going to be my my interjection here was just, I don't think it's a rush thing. I think it's that you need like legal experts to... Yeah. I don't think it's expected that most game journalists are also legal experts. And like that should probably be... Someone should maybe consult on that a little bit, maybe. I was yeah. going to mention that, too. Like, I, I think it's just uh, an unfortunate circumstance of and I do think I, I didn't I wasn't like looking at every story that came out. So I'm not really sure what stories like this question has in mind or what outlets. But um, when I was looking back at the story of the weekend, I sort of tried to find like a place where I felt like it was concise and well put together and everything. And I ended up um, leaning on Rebecca Valentine's reporting at IGN. Again, I don't know if that was all perfect out the gate or whatever. I wasn't, I don't even know for a fact that it's completely perfect now, but it seemed like it had the, the accuracy in terms of really breaking down. Okay. This is what was said and this is what it means. And I thought she did a good job contextualizing it. Um, But yeah, to Kelsey's point, I think it's just really hard to do that kind of stuff because you're not people that are games journalists. Like they're an expert in, gaming and like maybe they are really knowledgeable on like you know the publishers and the developers and like those elements of the business or something but like you know in game industry.biz of course is like great at like the business yeah. side of, of those things and those niches but it reminds me of like when the GameStop Wall Street stuff was going on everyone I knew was like I don't know anything about stocks like that ain't my job like I'm here to talk about you know the boom too now out now you know here's the trailer <laughs> like and that's not to just count the field but like it it does really get challenging when these other like fields intersect with it. So I feel right. like it's more just people struggling to wrap their head around it. And I struggle with that too. And I'm even when I'm reading stuff, that's why I lean so heavy on on the people that are doing all that work of sifting through it. So I can kind of be like, this is what it is. I think. Yeah, yeah. I know Shannon Lau, another- Washington Post, has done a great job. 
And I think another good example of this is like, you ever see how sometimes those non-gaming sites try to write an article about gaming and they're yes. like really, really embarrassing and terrible? Yeah. Like, I think that's just what you run into when you try to cross over into a sector that it's not your expertise. Yeah, totally. This is <laughs> my dad uh, sent me <laughs> the AARP magazine which back at Game Informer was always the bane of our existence because we were always like the fourth biggest magazine in the world and the one and two slots were both AARP. I was like, damn you. <laughs> but anyways, my dad sent me this AARP magazine because he's like, oh, there's an article about video games in here. I thought you'd get a kick out of. And it was bizarre to read like the AARP's take on... It was just like their cover story was like, here's video games. And it was bizarre because it was written from a perspective of like, it's kind of like a movie you can interact with. Like, it felt like <laughs> an article from 1990, if you're being generous. It was just surreal. And they had, like, quotes from Sid Meier and Will Wright. Like, they got, like, these Hall of Famers to come in and explain just literally interactivity is pretty fun. Was, like, a quote from, like, Sid Meier. It's like, what are you doing? You have these geniuses. And you're just, like, I was talking to my dad about it. It's like, this is like if 10 years ago you had an article explaining what movies were. And you got Steven Spielberg to come in and be like, the film goes in the camera. I was like, yeah, we got that. <laughs> we got that far. We don't need this genius to give this quote. But very weird. Um, let's see. Oh, uh, Shazira is very smart uh, in the chat. She was saying that Apple won most of the big stuff. Epic won one finding of fact that's being reported on. There's going to be an appeal from Epic. Wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't. Okay, a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's very complex. <laughs> Um, let's see, uh, White Max, um, just to bring things down for a second, uh, it says, hey there, Emmy Award nominee Ben Hansen. Oh, thank you. Um, I promise I didn't include this one just for this reference. But uh, Min Max's documentary on the Oregon Trail uh, was nominated for a regional Emmy here in the Midwest. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's extremely well-deserved. That's great. Oh, if that's you haven't, If you sweet. haven't watched it yet, I implore you to. It's very good. That's very nice. Yeah, you can find so it. Just go on YouTube. I will and take at, my payment now, Ben. Yep, absolutely. Just look for the Oregon Trail <laughs> Min-Max. You can find that documentary. Yes, Jeff. Henson, you had, you had mentioned that in the Slack that it got nominated, and I was amazed by that news. And yeah. so I went and Googled it and then found that you had already won an Emmy. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You've won an Emmy? Yeah, yeah. Back when I was at... So I was nominated for... A couple before, and then and then I won one yeah, before a game. Yeah, I forget. No, yeah. So I won. Trust me, this would not seem impressive if you saw the video I won for. It was a video on school recycling that I did back in 2010 before I started at Game Informer, and somehow that won an Emmy. Um, but hey, MinMax is nominated now, Jeffum, and it is it's very fun to see the name MinMax on this thing. So I guess I'll be going to that regional Emmy thing and rooting for Minmax there. Uh, so well you should heckle from the crowd the entire time. Just chanting Roche from the crowd the entire yes. time. Alright, let's see how it goes. Um, but thanks everybody for supporting us at Minmax and letting us do cool stuff like make documentaries like the Oregon Trail documentary. Um, White Max says, uh, oh boy, this is a 180. Hey, with the passing of Norm MacDonald being announced, I was wondering if you have a favorite bit of his you'd like to share. Uh, PSF Cancer. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, Norm MacDonald, controversies noted, controversies noted throughout his career. Uh, but Jeff, I just assume you're a fan of Norm MacDonald as well. I, I always liked him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't have a favorite one because I think most of them he was usually pretty offensive in. Like <laughs> those are the ones I remember. So, okay. Yeah. Really point you anything. go back to some of that well, weekend update stuff. And he has a lot stuff. of like really long ones that I don't want to try to recite here. <laughs> Like that's, yes. that's some of what I remember him for is like those just rambling five minute jokes that 
end in a good punchline, but I'm not going to try to recite any of those. No, it's such a specific delivery that you couldn't possibly go through. I think I've tried to pull off a couple of those jokes, like with my parents or something, and it's just blank stares. Because it turns out you're not Norm Macdonald, you don't have that delivery. But this is not even a joke, but um, I remember this bit. And then they just republished uh, his old WTF interview, and it was in there again, and so I listened to it again today. But he tells the story, and it's kind of like the Norm Macdonald origin story, where he says that when he was a kid up in Canada, his dad had a friend that was blind, and he had to help his dad's friend go to the store. And he said his dad's friend, and Norm Macdonald as a kid was also just super uncomfortable and anxious and awkward and all that good stuff. Um, and he said that his dad's friend, when he was walking to the store, just kept asking him to describe what he was seeing. So he'd be like, what are you, what are you looking at now? And Norm, as a little kid, would be like, uh, it's just a lamppost. He's like, okay, what does that look like? And he would describe it. And Norm MacDonald describes it like it was this epiphany where he then could not stop laughing at just the basic idea of everything in the world. Because when you break things down and have to explain things on a basic level, it turns out everything is slightly funny. And I think that carried through like Norm's entire career of him just setting things up and describing things in a way that are so obvious and simple. But just with that tone, you realize that almost everything in the world is a little bit funny. So, yeah, sad to see him go. Uh, hey, Travis Brinkley says, Hey, Max, I was thinking of a question to submit, but I've been waiting for four hours for a tow truck to take my car to get a new tire. So my question is, can you fix a flat tire? You don't have to fix mine. Thanks, Travis. No. Hell no. Not even close. Uh, it's tough. There was a time where I could. Um, when I lived in Texas, I lived on in an area that was just perpetually under construction. And so I I learned to fix a flat tire because I think I had like four a year, which is way too many. What? Uh, yeah, it just keep running over nails and stuff. It's terrible. <laughs> oh uh, <laughs> what are you twisted metal? What's happening over there? Yeah, uh, I haven't had to do that since I was in high school. So no, I don't think I think I would have to pull up a YouTube video. Yeah, I I I mean, my dad taught me to do it over and over and over again, and I do think if I got a flat tire now, I think I'd be too scared to do it. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too proud to admit that. Jeff, you seem like you could, you could do it with your eyes closed. Yeah. Uh, well, one of my get a load of this is a long time ago was that little portable uh, tire inflator That's that you right. can just plug into your cigarette lighter thing, which no one uses anymore. Uh, and it, so it's not really fixing it, but you can fill it back up and get it, you know, off the road. And then if if my car was parked in the driveway, I feel like I could get it up on a jack and get the tire off and get a, you know, a donut on there right. to then drive it to someone who's, you know, competent. Right, look out. Look out. Way to go. Uh, Chris Becker writes in and says, Janet and gang. Oh, that's a, that's a new way of framing it. You're welcome to frame it though. Uh, how's it going? Good. Thank you, Chris. Um, I certainly hope everyone is getting ready for February with it now suddenly becoming overly crowded. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> a lot of setup here. My question is this. What's been the cheapest game to become game of the year? I'm talking the year it came out. Any $10 or less games still your stop, top spot, I think is what the main means to write, uh, for game of the year. Cheapest game to become game of the year is, is the core of the question. Like our here. personal game of the year, right? Or just, yeah, maybe a universal uh, or outlet game of the year contender. Maybe Fortnite, if that ever won from anything. I think you're totally right. Mm-hmm. That's that's the one that's really tough to beat. I think Fortnite is is the correct one. But even like Hades is... What? But it's not $10. Like, I'm like, oh, you go on cheap, cheap. Because sometimes people... Yeah. 
this is like a really random bitter thing, but like sometimes on social media, some people will be like, oh, like cheap game recommendations, but the games are still like 30 or $40. I'm like, that ain't really like that cheap. Right, it's like a right. light sale, like calm down. Um, so yeah, like 10, under $10. I feel like that that's not a lot of games. Yeah, there's just not really that classic game. Oh, maybe like Monument Valley. That could have been somebody's game of the year, possibly. All right, I'm getting a lot Undertale of heads to the side. Undertale was like it was like ten or twenty bucks. Is that Maybe. right? Maybe. Yeah, Stardew Valley I think was. I bought 15. it when it was like ten dollars. Um, yeah, I think Stardew Valley wanna... was fifteen for a long time. I don't know what it's at now, but that's certainly game of the year. If yeah, you want to go back further, I mean, because games weren't cheap for a very long time but the one i thought of first before you guys started having much more brilliant answers was like katamari which was a 20 dollars game at launch oh it's it very cheap for a ps2 game yeah i didn't know that that's a, that's a great cha- great choice for sure um let's see uh how much, how much was disco elysium when it came out mm. it was like a full price i feel like at least 40 i feel like but i don't know yeah let's see especially Dis- when it came out like i can only really look up what it is now yeah, yeah it's it's 40 now for the final cut so probably yeah, okay. not too far off that um celeste is i think like around that 20 do- again 10 dollars is really hard but i think celeste is like 20 yeah that, that was a really strong one god's garage um, I, uh, backstage pass brings up that like with game pass you could get psychonauts 2 for one dollar <laughs> right now which yeah, is true bro psychonauts 2 ain't gonna be up there regardless ooh, of how much it costs ooh, to be oh hang on wow. hot um <laughs> yeah they're like oh it feels like a older game now i'm like yeah that's not that's not the column that you, th- you may think it is. This is interesting. Um, that's just my personal taste. No, um, I love it. A Short Hike, I really love, and that's mm. an $8 game. All right. That, that game's really damn good. It is good. Yeah, awesome that game choice. is great. Um, let's see, VRG writes in and asks, do you enjoy cooking? If so, what are your favorite recipes? Jeff, I feel like you've talked about cooking a lot, but have you have you got any new recipes? Um, Chili. Ooh, is okay. A, is a, it's a hard one to screw up. And then you have food for like a week after you make it. Good staple. Yeah, that yeah. is good. Just freeze it. And it's healthy. Go. Is, is it? it? <laughs> I think it can be. It's, it's mostly vegetables. I usually don't actually oh, put... Oh, I'm putting so much in. ground beef in there. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess it depends on how much beef you put in. But but it's it's still very good if you don't put in beef. Not, okay. I won't... I won't fault anyone for putting in beef. All right. Yeah. I've never really liked chili. It just tastes like, because I, I didn't grow up eating it. So I think that's why it's like, this doesn't hit for me. It just tastes like a weird, a weird ground beef soup. Maybe, maybe I should show the vegetable one. Maybe that would taste better. It tastes like a weird soup, like a soup that doesn't have any liquid. <laughs> it's like just damp. Why that's, is it? Why that's is the, food the worst description of chili I've ever heard in my <laughs> life. If you describe but anything that way, wrong? it sucks. Like, that's, yes, it's it, wrong. It's, it's, it's weird because it tastes, it does taste good. Yeah. You, know, you make it well and it'll taste good. But I'm like, it just tastes wrong. Like something's not, I'm not, I'm not good with it. I can't do it. So it's, um, a, it's a texture thing for you. Like, do you, do you need it in like a solid patty? Like, I don't know chili what it patty. is. I'm it, I'm the only one with the problem because uh, in my apartment, like we've made chili a couple times, and everyone else is like, "Yeah, this could." We sort of we take turns cooking. You know, I I live in kind of a a, a more non conventional setup than I think some people because usually you're either with like maybe some roommates your age or like you have your own family. I have like a weird combo of like I live with my brother, his fiance, my dad, and my boyfriend. So it's like this weird modern family vibe. <laughs> um, and we we all take turns cooking uh, except my boyfriend does his own thing because he just doesn't like to eat the foods that we like to eat. I'm like, that's fine. That's, no, that's not fine. Yeah, it's, that's it's not a whole fine. thing. That's weird. There's so many things going on. I don't know. He don't listen to the show. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so it's like me, 
my brother and his fiance that we take turns cooking. We can just let my dad chill. He's old already. He's like in his like 50s, 60s. I'm like, I feel like just let him just let him live. Like, it's OK. Like, he'll chip <laughs> in for the groceries and he don't got to do work. Um, but like we take turns doing stuff. And like I was the only one that had a chili issue. Everyone else was like, this could stay in the rotation. I'm like, I'll yeah. be honest. Mm-mm, I can't do it. I don't like this chili. But I don't really like cooking because it's like an annoying chore for me which is like i only cook two days a week because we split it up okay um but my favorite thing to cook probably and the thing that i think i make best is one pot uh bacon broccoli mac and cheese it's from this site called budget bites which if you're not familiar it's an awesome it's a great site and like one beef i had for a long time with cooking kelsey i know you're kind of similar because we like barely started cooking (laughs) in the last couple of years but for so long i'm like it's so much work and it costs so much money i'm like i feel like i can just get a five dollar sandwich and just eat garbage and make a and live and i did that for a long time um and budget bites <laughs> places where i'm like okay this is like a good tasting meal that's actually affordable where i really do feel like i am actually saving money cooking at home uh and it's a it's a pretty simple recipe uh and i like a lot of recipes from there it's where i get a lot of my stuff so budget bites it's a free site they have an app that you can also pay for but uh that recipe's always dope and we always like eat all of it it's great i cook breakfast every morning that's like the the one meal that i'm like i just have a commitment to so i usually do like either breakfast tacos or like a scramble um usually some veggies and sausage and stuff but the trick is like you just cut all that stuff up at the beginning of the week Mm. and then you can just kind of dump it in the pan and cook it and then cook the eggs with it too i mean it's it's not difficult um I don't know i don't hate cooking but i'm kind of with janet where it's like it's just it's a lot of work for not so much return because you can go to a restaurant and <laughs> spend not that much more money and have someone do it all for you so i enjoy it if it's like a social thing or if i'm cooking someone's favorite meal for someone and right. i don't mind break- making breakfast but it's something i've struggled to make like you know cooking Two or three meals a day is just not going to happen for yeah. me. Two sometimes, but not three. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, yeah. By the way, what is your history, Janet and Kelsey? Janet, you mentioned listening to Kelsey's <laughs> podcast and stuff. Are you got two Twitter buddies? What, what's the history here? I think we're now real friends. What? Like, I think we, we're we real are, friends. We, yes, we have crossed the threshold. Congratulations. Um, the abridged version <laughs> is like... Yeah, like I'm friends with Kelsey. Like wow. I know, Ke- like I was like, oh, Kelsey's here. And this is our first time making content, which is has been really fun. Um, yeah, like I first learned that Kelsey existed through her podcast. Um, and we just kind of became like Twitter mutuals, like from having just talked about games. Um, and then I, I met her for the first time at a convention where it was like, and it was funny because I, when I, I don't know if I even told you this story, Kelsey, from like my perspective, but when I knew that we were going to meet and you were like, oh, yeah, like, come by the booth and stuff. I was like, well, I think Kelsey's really cool and stuff. But like, I want to make sure I'm not being, you know, creepy because like I know Kelsey more from her content. I don't want to be like a problematic fan or something and like be weird. <laughs> so it's like, OK, we're going to be And my brother also kind of knew Kelsey the same way. I'm like, OK, we're going to be low key up and say hi. Um, and then right away, Kelsey's like, you know, walked up to me, gave me a hug. I was like, oh, like everyone's a lot more friendly than I, I was like really worried that I didn't want to come off like being too much and stuff but um and yeah we've you know exchanged contacts and have been you know fairly close ever since and just kind of talked the way any other friends do basically that's my um it sounds like i'm a robot but that's my abridged version of, of me and kelsey's history i sign off on it sounds accurate to me wow that's awesome this the historian approved it so boom there you yeah, go there but I, just, I, just, I, I 
stowing that. <laughs> Decreed. Uh, all right, uh, what do y'all like for question of the week? I kind of like that one about how you two are friends. Um, but I think that was me. Let's see. I like the history tidbit because I feel like that's playing into Kelsey's strength. I like the outfit one because people don't really ask about that stuff too much. I, I like the outfit one. Yeah. Do you think that's your number one, Kelsey? Well, what are you, what are your other ones? Okay. Let see if I, I mean, I... let's see. I like how I like the old video game time travel thought uh, experiment. Character creator yeah, screen. It's between those. Okay, I think I'm between the time travel and the outfit one. If anyone's got a tiebreaker here, Janet Jeffum, the outfit one, because it had more concrete answers. Yes. Um, and also we got to be kind of we got to kind of grill each other on each other's answers. Okay. There we go. Congratulations, Chris Prohaska. You win the Cuphead CD from I Am Eight Bit. But everybody else can still get it by going to I Am Eight Bit's wonderful online store. But congratulations, thanks for submitting great questions over at Patreon, everybody. Now it's time for something we like to call get a load of this. Okay, Jeff um, you gotta you gotta show everybody how it's done. You just have to lean into it and give us the best get a load of this you've ever given. Oh, that's not going to happen. Okay. Uh, get a load of this. Um, this one is, well, this one's actually kind of a bummer. So I'm already blowing. <laughs> oh, no. <your> <laughs> uh, but it's a PC uh, gamer article that's called Please Enjoy Discord While It's Still Good. And it's basically about how it's it's specifically about Discord, but then more generally about how, you know, software and platforms kind of have an arc to them where they start off really good and they have a ton of features in them. And then eventually the creators have to figure out a way to actually make money from them. Right. And they either start putting stuff behind paywalls or they start cutting features and stuff. And it's a, it's a really good write up of how the author and their friends have kind of used discord as a way to hang out together and how, you know, all the different kind of features that discord facilitates for that. And it made me think of, all of the great times that we get to have that are facilitated by Discord and how we should probably be enjoying them now before, you know, someone comes along and buys Discord and then makes everything behind a membership paywall or things like that. And shatters so. the trivia tower structure and, and possibility yep. that we've kind of oh, crammed into Discord now. Yeah. yeah. Let us use it I for our game shows. Discord was too good to be true. Like the fact that it's all of this and there's really well I, I guess it's one of those things I forget who had this quote but it's something like you know if you aren't paying you are the the thing they're selling or right. something yes, like that line too. you're the yeah. product or something like that yeah yeah someone else can quote it for real but <laughs> but that's the sentiment and yeah so it makes me wonder like what's happening and also yeah I don't know it's, it's a lot of really nice features that we don't pay for yeah yeah for sure uh Hey, get a load of this. Um, Bruce Straley, who uh, left Naughty Dog years ago, he's the director on Uncharted 2, Last of Us, Uncharted 4. Um, he had a tweet where he says, packing to move and found a sketchbook with The Last of Us brainstorms. Trying to figure out how to make setups and layouts with everyday found objects were interesting. Dumpsters and ladders, Minnie made it in. And I see the birth of Bill's trap in here. And now do I pack them or trash them? 
Uh, so this is just a series of tweets where it's just like super crude sketches from The Last of Us, where it's like literally basic ideas of, you know, wheeling the big cart underneath the ladder or like going up here and dropping a ladder down. Like the basic, maybe repeated too many things in Last of Us in there, just like the basic level of design of how Joel and Ellie are interacting. You get to see these stick figure versions of it uh, if you follow the link below for Bruce Straley's tweet. And Kelsey, as a, a story in here, do you prefer that he packs them or trashes them? I prefer so he donates them to the Video Game History Foundation archive if he does not feel like packing them. He's more than welcome to keep them if they bring him joy. But if if he doesn't want to, uh, I'm sure historians of the future and probably present would really love to see that stuff. Yeah. You hear that, Bruce? Do what's right. (laughs) Uh, Kelsey, do you have one? I sure do. Get a load of this. Uh, The National Video Game Museum in the UK just launched uh, something they'd been working on for a while, which is the Animal Crossing Diaries project, um, which is something I was really excited about them doing because Animal Crossing New Horizons was such a moment in time that will never be replicated. Like, if you play that game now, and Janet, I know you're still playing it sometimes, it is not what it was in March. Like, that is a completely different game, different experience. and so they have, for the last like year or so, been collecting people's stories and experiences and screenshots and videos and just all kinds of different ways that they interacted with Animal Crossing. And you can browse them like in nice ways, like you can search for specific ones and through different categories, but they also just have a random button which is my favorite. So I spent like an hour this morning just hitting random over and over again and reading people's things. And sometimes they're like these long, beautifully constructed essays about what Animal Crossing meant to them in these horrible times. And sometimes it's just like, I had a date with my girlfriend and here's a picture. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. That's great. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Uh, There's a link below for all this stuff. Janet, you have something? Yeah, get a load of this. Uh, there is a Twitter account that uh, came out earlier this month called Frasier Looking at Video Games. The oh, handle right. is at Frasier underscore looking. Uh, currently sitting at 25K followers made by someone named Eagle McGill. Or Bobby is their actual name, according to Twitter. Um, but it's what it sounds like. It's Frasier. Like, like, he's at like the, you know, sort of if you know that apartment layout has those big like window door type things. And he's looking out into the world and they just change it with different video game worlds or scene from games like they uh very like timely had Fraser looking out at black reef because uh death loop came out they also have looking out at among us and like people flying out of a ship and you can submit uh to the account like things you want Fraser to look at they had Fraser looking at wario you know for <laughs> wireware drop in um just a bunch of different stuff and it's it's just so funny and random and silly and i enjoy weird crossovers like this. They had looking at the showcase, the PlayStation showcase and just the <laughs> promotional image. Um, also, Frasier, underrated show. I myself okay. need to go back and really give it a full watch because pretty good. I feel like this is what we should have sent back to 1980 because they'd be like, yeah. is that the guy from Cheers looking at some new version of a video <laughs> game I couldn't possibly comprehend? Yeah, it, it really bends some minds. Uh, Jeff, did you get one from the community from the Get a Load of This channel? Yeah, get all over this. This is also a bummer, but it's history oh. related as okay. well. So, uh, this one was from Mike Lynch, and it's a CNN article that they actually didn't do too bad of a job, uh, even though it's not specialist reporting. But it's the massive museum of pinball is closing, um, and they are putting up all seventeen hundred pinball machines uh, for auction. What? I think the and auction's over. I, I, 
Maybe. Is it not? It's it's been happening I, for several days. Yeah, okay. I think I, I think figured it was that, over, but maybe it's not. I think they said uh, they've they've auctioned off like 750 so far, and that there's some more that's going to be auctioned later in the month. But um, it's a it's a nice and kind of sad write up of you know kind of their attempts to save it and kind of all the costs associated with it and and the history behind it and stuff. And yeah. Worth a read. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. You can check out the links below, everybody. Uh, hey, Kelsey, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Had a good time. Yeah. What would you like to plug? If you could point people one direction, where should they go? Well, it sounds like some of you guys already enjoy my podcast. So I'll just plug that again. Um, you can go listen to the Video Game History Hour podcast. Um, it's on all of the same places you're probably listening to the MinMax podcast. So That's true. Check uh, it out and check out the Video Game History Foundation. Yeah, uh, genuinely the most educational video game podcast out there. Like every episode you learn so much. If you like deep dives, like I, I promise I'm not just uh, trying to kiss your ass here, Kelsey. Like your recent <laughs> episode, which I felt like it was framed as, oh, this is like a boring bonus-ish thing. But it was you and Frank Sifaldi talking about doing that like Konami dig of going to that guy's house who was uh, a producer for Konami for like the early 90s and kind of going through his basement of stuff that was so fascinating just about like hey here's what it's like when somebody is getting old and their basement's filled with video game stuff and they don't know what to do with it and they think it may be worth something and then you two actually getting to uncover all this old awesome Konami stuff like there was an official Konami company song that like the president there was <laughs> it's so yeah absurd. there's an official Konami Konami ballad that the president of Konami, the then president of Konami commissioned. And um, just, it's it's very lame, but there is both a, a version with the lyrics and a karaoke version that we we ripped while we were down there. Uh, we are going back to scan all of that stuff. Um, so hopefully we'll have some cool stuff to share yeah. soon. Cool. But yeah, check it out. Video Game History Hour on your favorite podcast app, everybody. Um, all right, Janet, you got something you want to plug too? Uh, yeah, you know, check out my social media. It's at Game Onesis. And uh, also, I was nominated for two categories in uh, the GameHers Award, which uh, you can check out that site or account on Twitter uh, for Rising Star Streamer and then Content Creation Top Journalist. So I would appreciate if y'all would go uh, and vote for me there. You just have to put in your email address. They will never email you. Uh, I will say you have to kind of there's a lot of nominees. So you have to you do have to kind of dig for it. Uh, it's just the handle Game Onesis. They used everyone's just handles. And it's alphabetical. But yes, I'm there. And that's pretty cool. So uh, yeah. if you like my content, uh, go ahead and vote. And if you don't, uh, do it anyway, because I don't I don't care either way. The All vote right. still counts. That works. Uh, there's a link in the description if you want to follow it there for everything. Uh, Jeff, um, uh, have you enjoyed your computer so far? Do you want to plug uh, PC gaming or anything? Yeah, I'll plug sure. it in. <laughs> try, yeah. try it out. These PC <laughs> games are pretty sweet. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching or listening to this episode of The MinMax Show. If you're watching it, you can always subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you're listening to it, you can always watch it on YouTube and give us a subscribe over there. We'd appreciate it. Otherwise, just give us a follow on Instagram and win a Fixer S1 for yourself. And thank you, everybody, at the Thank You Crew tier, the $50 tier over on Patreon. That is Fixture Gaming, Fatal X Blade on YouTube. I am 8-Bit, Ludvid Roque, Zachary Pliggy, Andrew Eukerwitz, Andrew Valla, Beatdown Brian, PrettyGoodPrinting.com, Rico Torino, Jawar Hello, Mark Seliga, Best of the Rest Podcast, John Higby, Call Me By Your Game Podcast, Clint Farley, Drew Oranist, Dan Valone, Ted Reiser, Steve Bam. Dad, Purebred Number Six, Clemens Zobel, Star Killer, Chris, Spider Dan, Spiral in Your Eyes, Pretham Yarlagata, and Thomas. Thank you so much, everybody. Be good, have fun, let's go. Bye.